Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Hey, I tell you guys, it feels like we're just moving through the week. It's already a Thursday. How about that? We have NFL. We had NBA last night. Uh, the Pacers winners. I'm looking at Sam Fritz, who is still sad over his Phillies. I'm looking at Kevin Bowen, looking good today. Late night at game. A little date night for uh, the Bowen. A little date, no- uh, date night for the Bowens, right? Turn that mic on. What you Wait, got? Wednesday night, date night, <laughs> and most importantly. To a basketball I game. Said to Matty Bowen, walking out of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, one down, 44 to go, baby. There, there you go. 44 to go. Paying that mortgage uh, with the sports <laughs> gambling. Uh, hanging out, as always, drivehubler.com studios. It is the wake-up call here on the fannies Kevin Bowen I'm Andy Sweeney Sam Fritz hanging out with us Pacers win one day closer uh to the Colts and Saints a big one at Lucas Oil and uh man we got tons to talk about uh Pittman I'm gonna call him Sam Pittman who's <laughs> the Arkansas head coach for now the Arkansas Slightly head coach different body types <laughs> yes Sam Pittman I, I I would say Sam Pittman's got Michael more of Pittman my body Jr. type uh <laughs> Michael Pittman uh some of the Ursay stuff still lingering from yesterday uh but a busy Thursday show Scott Agnes will join us Jason Hammer will join us in studio. Good morning, fellas. KB, how are you? Good morning, Sam Fritz. Thank you, as always, for filling in. Mark Dykton up uh, Wisconsin Dells, right? Wisconsin. Uh, for the next couple of days. So, so Sam, water are park you tomorrow? Or is it Elijah tomorrow? I, I believe it's Elijah tomorrow, okay. as far as okay. I know. Well, appreciate you, as always. Uh, yeah, Scott Agnes, 830. Hammer, who has been very good on yes, Thursday night picks. Jason Hammer going to join us at 930. Um, what a fun night last night inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. You know, I really wasn't joking, and I don't do this very often, Andy, but I said to you, I said it to John when I went on with him yesterday afternoon, the city needs a a convincing win. And, you know, certainly the first quarter was very well, back and forth. I was and worried. The Pacers, again, looked like they couldn't guard you or I during that stretch, but um, said it to Rick Carlisle a few weeks ago when we had him on, really the first time we've had him on entering the season. I have not seen a Pacers team, and I go back. I mean, I go way back, Andy. With this much depth, this much quality, legit depth. And as soon as that second unit started to turn over and the Wizards started putting guys in the game, you had to go to the program to find out who they were. And the Pacers started to put their second unit in. And, and Rick Carlisle shortened the rotation a little bit. It, you know, we thought maybe 10. He actually went nine. A little bit. A little bit. And that was a difference right there. Uh, Bruce Brown kind of stayed in with that second unit into the first quarter, into the second. Uh, and then once the starters got back in the game, it was almost like, okay, that was the wake-up call that we needed. 143-120, the most points scored in a season opener for the Pacers. Uh, Kristen Airy texted me late last night. He goes, Kev, the Pacers had one 20-point win all last season. <laughs> I know it's the Wizards, but wow. still. I mean, good you stat. Know, to win by 23 well, on the Wizards night, beat you last year. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and you got off to a slow start last year. I mean, opening night last year was Miles Turner – turned his ankle on a ball boy in warm-ups. It was an ugly uh, start to the season. Um, so, yes, convincing defense will certainly continue to be a question, but legit depth, plenty of scoring options, balance galore, 
a really fun opening night for the Pacers. Yeah, you know, I tweeted out last night, you know, there are a few things for me. You know, Carlisle, who's been on with us the last three weeks, and what, I mean, can we promote him? It's looking like he's going to be on on Tuesday again with us next week. You know, the things that he talked about were, you know, shooting a lot of threes, right? And they shot a lot of threes. <laughs> we saw that with 43. You know, what's interesting uh, about that is that's what Golden State shot last year when they led the NBA. So, I mean, there is a chance, and I, there is a possibility a good one that the Pacers are going to be first, second, third in three-point attempts this season. I think you saw it last night, and uh, that second, even that third unit, if you bring end-of-game Jordan Wara, is ready to come in and shoot a three, like basically immediately. And then Bruce Brown, I tweeted this out last night. You know, he scored 24 points in his Pacers debut last night. He did that once. He scored more than 24 points once in the regular season last year and once in the postseason last year for Denver. So you just see how, you know, I mean, obviously in free agency, he was looking for an expanded role, uh, if you will, more than just, hey, a guy that can play really good defense around all-star players. Uh, Halliburton looked good. I want you to admit something. I don't know where you sit for these games. I don't know if you're the media. Well, you're with the wife, so you're well, not media. I don't know if you're Jake Query. Did you have his tickets? Shout out to good Jimmy, one of uh, our loyal, okay. loyal listeners. Uh, he gave Maddie and I the invite. Uh, very, very oh, fortunate okay. and grateful. For that offer, so you're like uh, VIP then a yeah, little bit. When Look you are that. with Good Jimmy's company, uh, you are. His name's Good Jimmy. Okay, good this is Jim, we so have he, a bad Jimmy and a Good Jimmy. Uh, good guess, Jimmy sounds like clarify. a gambler. He's a gambler, I assume. Good Jimmy is just a terrific human. Uh, well, okay, yeah, terrific human. Uh, when you know a minute into the game, was it the first possession when Halliburton slipped and fell? Did did you gasp? I want you to know. I want to know. Did you gasp, Kevin Bowen? I literally <laughs> looked around for the beer person. <laughs> And for, because I get, I go, <laughs> that's what I did. And I'm thinking to myself, can should I go out there and mop it up? I mean, is anyone going to do? L- luckily, the officiating crew. I, I felt like it was a little bit of opening night. They were like, "All right, we're just going to stop the game yeah. for a full let's, like let's, minute yeah, here. Let's, let's pause for a second uh, here. Ball boys, ball girls, Wizards athletic <laughs> training staff. Uh, anybody else see any spots on the floor here? And then fittingly, Halliburton came down the. I think it was the very next trip down the floor and got right to that spot again. Hit that yeah. little pull up jumper, and I'm like, okay, now I can breathe again there. But I mean, so, he yes, fell. And he fell. Heart, he fell hard. He fell hard. Yes, he my did. Heart did gasp. And, and he, <laughs> I think he was so. Dis- disgusted for a brief second i'm like oh gosh he's really hurt yeah but he was just like such in shock like wait opening night and that happens on the first trip down the floor and right in front of the commissioner <laughs> oh that was right in front of silver right spent a lot of time of- with the guys on bally's last night Adam i like silver. i like the east west again i'm good with that i you know i don't care all-star I, games i just don't care i don't love no elam ending again okay I, I, I can, i'm an elam ending guy i am too i thought it was yeah. a nice twist uh i agree uh, Nick Elam, the creator of the Elam ending, we've had on this show several times. He's a Ball State professor. And so he came up with I feel with like I should have known that or I did know that and I just, you know, I don't know. So I like I, the Elam ending, though. I'm a little biased with that. But, yeah, we'll okay. talk with Scott Agnes coming up at 830 again. Adam Silver in the building last night. I think one thing to add, to on Bruce Brown, um, obviously knocking down the open shots. When you watch him play, Andy, you can just tell. You know, he's a former five-star recruit. I, I know he wasn't like a heralded guy necessarily at Miami. Uh, that would be Miami Hurricanes, where he went to college. A second-round pick. And, you know, he's bounced around to a couple different spots in the league. You watch him, though, and you're like, man, he does a little bit of everything. You know, last night we're going to fall in love with the six threes and, again, the leading score and all of that. But he does a little bit of everything. And look at the Jordan Poole stat line. 
I hope you didn't take the over. <laughs> I did not. By the way, last night, a gambler's paradise, KB. Because I know you're at the game with good Jimmy and the wife and everything else. You know, they get down early. That line was low. So I got it at seven before the game. And during the game, I got it at uh, Pacers two and a half and four. <laughs> I almost, That's how you do it, Sammy Fritz. I almost feel like there should be an NBA golden rule if a team is down Eight to ten in the first quarter, you immediately bet. Hundred percent. It means nothing in the NBA. Right. In college, it means everything. Oh damn, we're down ten points. How are we going to come back from that in college hoops? Not in the NBA. Jordan Poole, seven of eighteen last night, zero for six from three. Yeah, he was bad. Turnover. So, I, you know, defensively, there are certainly questions for this team. You're obviously going to play more potent offenses, teams that have more depth moving throughout the year. Again, Rick Carlisle, you know, w- w- with us, certainly acted like the Wizards were the you know, whatever, 72 Dolphins or 76 Hoosiers. Uh, they were not that once their depth was tested. Although for a minute there, I thought Danilo Gallinari was Jokic uh, early on in that game. Uh, but I think that is more of a Bruce, I almost called him Bruce Bowen, a Bruce Brown stat line that I'm going to be watching for throughout the season. What does the lead guard do against the Pacers? And last night, if you would have told Rick Carlisle before the game, Jordan Poole's going to go 7 of 18 and 0 of 6 from 3, you'd say, where do I sign up? For that, So, again, a whole lot to get to on the Pacers. Uh, we will certainly touch on that throughout the show. As Andy said, Michael Pittman Jr. with some clarifying comments is probably the best way to put it. Uh, yesterday, I thought Pittman Jr. personally handled it absolutely tremendously. Um, frankly, I don't even know if he needed to go to the extent that he did, but uh, I don't know if he clearly felt the need to or maybe his agent <laughs> whispered something into his ear. But Michael Pittman Jr., in true fashion of him, uh, handled that very well. Five Colts did not practice yesterday. That's one of the longer Wednesday lists. You know, I, I tend to think as the week moves along, Andy, it's always like each day kind of takes on a little bit more of like, okay, Wednesday's Wednesday, Thursday's Thursday, Friday. You know, yeah. As you move deeper into the week, the seriousness meter. Yes, if thank you will. You. That's what I was looking for. The seriousness meter for what it's worth. Alvin Kamara, obviously a very important piece to the Saints. He did not practice due to illness yesterday, so something to watch as the Saints get ready for Sunday. Yeah, you know, I want to play this sound later, but I thought Shane Steichen said something pretty interesting yesterday, and that is, you know, he's talking about the feel around the team and everything else. I'm not exactly sure the question that was, you know, asked to him, but, you know, how the guy's feeling after a rough game and everything else. And, you know, he basically said, you know, you get to this point of the season that teams are going to start dropping off, right? Like the newness of the NFL season, the zest and vigor that you have, that you've started a season, uh, kind of the grind of this long 17-game schedule sets in injuries, your bodies aren't feeling great. A lot of teams haven't been on a bye. And then when you toss in teams that have done some losing, have faced some adversity, uh, you know, the team's had some injuries, so you know maybe, hey, we're not going to reach the ceiling. He said, we're not going to be one of those teams. You know, I don't plan on being one of those teams, and that's my biggest question. You know, we talked about it yesterday. This is such a massive game in Lucas Oil. It really is. Being 3-5 and five and 4-4 four and four is a world of difference when you have Carolina and New England you coming know, up. It's, it's funny how I look at these next three games, Andy. These next three do not register at all on the NFL national radar. They just don't. You know, Colts, New Orleans, I mean, it's Mark Sanchez and Kevin Cooper. On the <laughs> announcing crew, the Sanchez on Sunday. Uh, obviously, Colts and Panthers and Colts and Patriots won't register either. I guess technically internationally, it might register, but you get what I'm saying. If you want meaningful December games, you take care of these games that, on paper, aren't as meaningful nationally. They are meaningful here, but if you want, you know, at Cincinnati, 
in week 14 to matter at Pittsburgh in week 15. If you just looked at the standings right now, you would say, wow, those two games could be kind of big. AFC North beats each other up. Baltimore wins the division. Okay, does that knock Cincinnati into a wild card race? Does that knock Pittsburgh into a wild card race? Theoretically, that's where the Colts would be, assuming Jacksonville continues to do what they've done in the AFC South. Um, and, and again, I'm really curious, Andy, how these two, three, and four teams, New Orleans and Indianapolis, react to Sunday. You listen to the tone in New Orleans, it's borderline DEFCON. And part of that is they made the significant move for Derek Carr, and it hasn't worked out. You listen to the mood here in Indianapolis, it's optimism mm-hmm. at three and four, despite coming off of back-to-back losses. So, And again, I think so much of that has to do with the preseason expectations, but I'm curious what the urgency on Sunday how does that play out? New Orleans coming off the mini buy, the Colts coming off, I would say, an emotionally taxing 60 minutes against the Browns. Very interested to see how these two teams, in what is pretty much a pick I think the Colts are still a slight favorite. I react to Sunday. Yeah, and then in the eight o'clock maybe uh, hour, I want to I want to I want to back Jim Ursay on maybe his comments. I've done some thinking on. It. I know Bob Kravitz wrote about it. I think I disagree with Kravitz a little bit. I think I want to back Ursay. Is that okay? Sure. Am I allowed to do that? Maybe at some point today. And this is in relation to <laughs> Ursay's well, tweet. I, I, yeah, I love I love the tweet. I love the tweet. I absolutely love the tweet. I'll explain why later on today. I do have one cult thought that we didn't get to yesterday. I know I briefly teased it on the show, so I want to make sure we get to it at some point today amidst you know all the Pacers recap from last night. But I do think there is an, um, a part to this team right now that it, it has been a major issue that we probably haven't focused enough. And it does date back to last season, so fair or unfair. You do have to tie in last year, but I think there's a reason why it, it's acceptable if you will, to tie it into last season. Um, and it's something that has to change if you want to start to have that win-loss record flip here as we approach the midway point of the season. I am Kevin Bowen. He is Andy Sweeney. Again, Sam Fritz on the ones and twos. Looks to be another pretty nice day here in Indianapolis, continuing tomorrow, and then uh, fall weather back arriving as we reach the end of October and uh, for the young parents out there, we don't like to see that for Halloween. I, I swear there hasn't yeah. been a nice Halloween in, in, in Indianapolis in at least five years. It, it, I mean, it, it definitely it definitely feels that way. What's the early? Do you want me to look it up? Do you want it's me like, to look up how what I, it's I looking like? It's like like going to be on Tuesday, like forty five or something. Yeah, I mean, there might be sun, but it's looking like the high of forty four. It's like, okay, you know, Rosie, here's your Barbie outfit. Where's your jacket? Yeah, put a sweater on, Max. Dinosaurs wear jackets. Is Max. that what he's going to be a little dino? A, dinosaur a Barbie action. and a dino. Is that what's mm-hmm. in the Bowen household on two, Tuesday? We're at two ends of the spectrum here <laughs> in so. the Bowen household. Yes, there you go. Hey, candy's candy, right? Trick or treat. You're damn right it is. Around on October 31st. Everybody have a great Thursday. Thank you for tuning in to the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, we'll lead with some NBA last night. Obviously, in GameBridge, 143-120, your final. Uh, I think defensively, we talked about this as the Pacers won, allowed 39 points in that first quarter and then allowed under 30 each and every quarter. And, and 30 would probably be the number, would it not, in today's day yeah, and age I mean, in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, 120. I think maybe you'd like a little 27 bit. maybe, 26, yeah. something like yeah, 39 that. 39 was the Oprah defense. You know, you get a bucket. You get, <laughs> you a, get bucket. a bucket. Yeah. Yeah. The 
there were some drives right down the lane, but 143-120, uh, one thing we talked about in segment number one, and Rick Carlisle talked about it as well, uh, and that's the rotation. Ten guys really played just nine last night. What that looks like going forward, we'll see. Here's Carlisle postgame. One thing I know is that if if you devise a rotation just to play 10 guys, just to play 10 guys, you can you can get in trouble. You know, we, we saw it a little bit in the last preseason game with Cleveland. That's tough. You play 10 guys, I mean, you're, you're limiting the minutes of other people in the rotation. And, you know, this is just a, a decision that I felt was right for the team. It's well said by Rick. Uh, Andrew Nemhard, Andy, 12 points, 10 assists. You, know, you <laughs> see your backup point guard just come into the game and, and run the show like he's able to. And I hope we don't fall into this trap of just forgetting about what Tyrese Halliburton does. Just a ho-hum, 20 points and 11 assists. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, we weren't going to mention it today. Contributing to, If you, if you, you didn't know, mention it, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah 20 and 11. total points for Halliburton on a night where you didn't even feel like he was that dominant, quote-unquote. Well, in the fourth quarter, they brought him back in the game, and I didn't know if they were going to do that. Right. And then he had, would you have a bucket, maybe a couple assists, and I got him right back out of the game. Yeah. The Wizards <laughs> said, empty the bench. Rick was like, oh, okay. okay yeah. uh, let me get him back yeah, out. It was like after. a 20-21 point game at that point. A Pacers at Cavs coming up on Saturday night. By the way, Victor Webanyama, 15 in his debut last night. Six of nine from the floor. Uh, he did have five turnovers in 20. Do you see what Chet Holmgren did? Minutes. Uh, I did not know. He had 11 points and four rebounds. He didn't do much, but if you look on the internet, Andre Drummond crossed him over like bad. Sam, did you happen to see this? Andre Drummond crossed him over, and Chet Holmgren fell. It's good to see Andre Drummond still in the league. <laughs> hey, still making a paycheck. Probably a pretty damn big paycheck at that. Uh, Chet and Webb and Yama, I, I feel like that's a rivalry that we need moving forward. Uh, okay, yesterday, uh, Colts practice. Again, five guys on the did not practice list. Those five would be Zach Moss, actually. Uh, elbow and heel, the list for him. Braden Smith still mm. out. He is. This would be his mm. third straight wow. missed game. Uh, wrist and hip for him. Uh, the other three, Kylan Grant, who missed last week due to a concussion. He was present at practice. Uh, and then the two guys that got hurt on Sunday, that would be Juju Brents with a quad injury and Eric Johnson, the defensive tackle, hoping to replace Grover Stewart. He was out with an ankle injury. So we'll continue to monitor that as the Colts get back to practice later today. For the Saints, Alvin Kamara out due to an illness yesterday. Yeah, week eight of the NFL season begins tonight. Uh, you have Bills hosting the Buccaneers. This is a big one. Uh, Bucks oh, have lost two in a row, three or four. Buffalo's lost two out of their last three. They've really been bad the last three or four games. They should have lost to the Giants a couple weeks ago. Currently, Buffalo nine and a half with an over-under KB at about 44. Any good feelings on this one? I, I, I'm, I feel queasy. <laughs> Why's that? You got so, Buffalo as an eliminator? Or what I think you got? I told you guys this a few weeks ago. Uh, this is the league that I just waited on quarterbacks and waited on quarterbacks and waited on quarterbacks. Oh, boy. And I've had a rotation. Well, I had Mac Jones to start the year as one of my three. Safe to say he didn't make it very long. I've basically rotated. And for the most part, I've kept with one. But uh, Brock Purdy or Baker Mayfield are my yeah. two quarterbacks. Okay, so Brock's well, out now. Brock's in concussion protocol. Yeah, he's not going to play. Pick up Sam Darnold. Well, Sam Darnold over Baker? <laughs> I Should know. I play Baker tonight? I mean, I, I, I fall into this trap of 
Do I play Baker? Do I play Darnold? I think I could pick up Russell Wilson, who plays the Chiefs. Is that a backdoor good fantasy day? I I would leave Russell Wilson completely alone. I I would actually – who do the Niners play here? I need to look that up. I would consider – Sam Darnold. Darnold over Baker? Just because it's just because it's a good team. Just because the Niners, even though they've been rough, it's a good team. Maybe no Debo, maybe no Trent Williams. It's not like Purdy had a huge night the other night. (laughs) I I don't know. I could it's a rough one, brother. I was thinking, all right, well, the Bills get ahead, and then again, Baker will kind of backdoor his way into a decent fantasy night. So that's why I feel a little queasy. You you should. I mean, Baker. I mean, you're looking. Here's the best that you're probably going to get: about 250, 260 with a touchdown. That's probably what you're looking for. Can he get you 250 yards a touchdown and have a clean sheet, as they would say in soccer, with uh, with no interceptions, no fumbles, Bills no other shenanigans? Up on defense, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, they're banged up. Is it going to be a nice night? Is it ever a nice night in Buffalo? <laughs> Buffalo. Oh, no. I feel like I know the Buffalo, New York weather. Thirty-one degrees. It's fifty-nine right now. There's I was pe- gonna say, there are people walking around in in Don't t-shirts. they get our weather uh, theoretically? Or I, Brother, I, I used to live in Western New York. They do not get our. They do not get our <laughs> weather. Somewhat are. I, I know they're not getting seventy. I would not, I would not be living. Yeah, you would be doing the show with Jake if Indianapolis got Buffalo's weather. Do you understand? <laughs> uh, college football for this weekend. Locally, all three of our main colleges back in action. Indiana back to the 30-point underdog. I think last I saw was 32 at Penn State for a noon kick coming up here. I'll take Penn State. On Sunday, Purdue and Nebraska. That is very close to a pick Ryan Walters has talked this week how he hates Nebraska. I think that's from his Colorado playing days. I was, I was I, about to say it has to be. Who I, thinks about Nebraska? I don't want to act like that's like, you know, yeah. Well, Matt Rule stinks, and I'm here to fire it up. Purdue's actually only a two-and-a-half-point underdog on the road at Nebraska. Yeah, Indiana, it's 32-and-a-half. And Notre Dame, back from there by week, 20-and-a-half-point favorite against Pittsburgh. As I look at the slate for this weekend, Oregon and Utah jumps out at about 3.30, and frankly, that's kind of it. Kind of a weak slate this week, yeah. I guess, do we still do the cocktail party? Is oh, that Georgia, yeah. Florida, <laughs> oh, in That's in Jacksonville, yeah. So yeah. most people going to be in that stadium the entire season. Hey, now. Hey, now. Aren't the Jags yeah, that's a, good? Yeah, that's a shot at the Jags, who I said stunk after week three, and now they're good. By the way, this Connor Stallions Michigan cheating story, this is wild. I love college football. <laughs> This guy is nuts. I love him. No, I love Have him. Have you been detail on uh, this? Yeah, yeah. The Athletic had a good piece yesterday on it. Yeah, I've been keeping up with it. I mean, it is nuts the level that he has gone to to record these games, record the opposing sidelines. As a Notre Dame fan, I'm a little butthurt I haven't seen Notre Dame <laughs> as one of the teams he was scouting. Well, yeah. And Jake was talking about this the other day. Why are they scouting Indiana? My bro, they weren't scouting Indiana. I was thinking, you know, they, they're like, he spent $3,000 on, you know, tickets and whatever. I'm like, you know the coach makes 1.5 mil per win. You know that, right? $3,000 in college football is nothing. 600-page manifesto on how he's going to run the it, Michigan football program it, one day. Isn't it so Harbaugh in college football? Like, it's, college, it's a college football story, but then you just throw the quirkiness and weirdness of Harbaugh on top of it and that's how you get this stuff so one of the questions i have is it sounds like he was hiring people that lived in these markets yeah. to record the opposing sidelines correct stringers you ever been a radio stringer stringers stringer. sure. you ever done that before i like call into like, sporting news radio or something like that I'm back in the day it lasted this long <laughs> yeah that someone didn't you know spill the beans yeah i mean i feel like if i were at a sporting event 
and I saw the person in front of me filming the opposing sideline for the whole game. Right. I'd kind of be like, what the hell is going on? It's like when Seinfeld, uh, you know, did the movies, recorded. You ever see that where he recorded the movies sure. in the movie theater for Kramer's guy who might have been in the mob? It was kind of like that. Yeah, you're not considering <laughs> that they probably were being a little bit secretive about it. You know, camera in a popcorn bucket. I, I, camera underneath the bill of the hat. <laughs> I mean, I would think over the course of four quarters, you're going to notice something. Yeah, plus, hey, you want to high-five me after a touchdown? The, no, man, I can't. Also, these games are like five hours long. You're going to see these college football here. games take forever. Absolutely incredible and in how Michigan handles this the rest of the year. And if this is the end of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, Jim Harbaugh to the Bears. Jim Harbaugh to the Bears or Chargers? Is he quarterbacking? What about the Titans? Oh, you think Vrabel's well, gone? If, no, if Vrabel goes somewhere else. Like if Vrabel, if Vrabel takes over for New England, in New England or they're like, we want a complete, you know, we want a complete freshening of our system and so we're just going to kind of start over. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Vrabel would go somewhere else, uh, you know, on his own accord, if you will, not let go by anybody, but it is a new GM. Just an incredible story in college football. I love, I, I love college football cheating stories. Amen. I love it. Connor Amen Stallions, to KB. hat tip to you. It's for a great your name, too. Could it be a better name? Great Connor name. Stallions. Love, did you see the video of him in the Ohio State game? No, that's I did not. how animated he is on the sideline oh, next, he's, next to the coordinator. Well, they have, like, that's the biggest difference. Like, if you watch a college football game, I covered so many of those, and then you go to, like, a Colts game, there is no one on the sideline in an NFL game oh, yeah. compared to all the lunatics they allow on right. the sideline yeah. at a college football 17 game. 17 strength coaches <laughs> pumping up the crowd. You have 37 grad assistants wearing, well, you know, all different color you, shirts. Well, and you have more, and you have more players, uh, just right. besides, yeah, and, and they and they allow all the media. Like basically, me, you, and Sam could just be on the sideline for the entire game at many places if we wanted to. Yeah, NFL, no can do on that effort. All right, he is Andy Sweeney. I'm Kevin Bowen. Sam Fritz with us, uh, filling in for Mark Dykden. We come back on the other side. We'll certainly continue to recap last night. Pacers opening night, depth, quality depth, legit depth, the story of last night as they score 143 against the Wizards. Uh, and also get back into the Colts. Michael Pittman Jr. had some comments about what he said post-game Sunday. We'll play some audio of that on the other side. It is the wake-up call of KB and Andy on a beautiful Thursday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, thanks for waking up with us. KB and Andy hanging out with you on the fan until 10 o'clock. Scott Agnes going to join us. We'll talk some Pacers hoops with him coming up uh, in about an hour. Pacers winners last night. We continue to get ready for the big game. Lucas Oil, Colts, and Saints. Uh, before we dive into this Michael Pittman Jr. sound, want to get to that. Uh, did you see that they have installed now in Frankfurt where the Patriots and Colts will play uh, in artificial surface? Did you happen to see any of this? A hybrid field really? is what it's called. Now, not if you remember, on some grass soccer field. Well, no. Last year, and, and I had forgotten about this just because between you know the turf at MetLife and the turf at all these different places, you think of Aaron Rodgers at the beginning of the year, and then you go you know overseas to any of the places, and it's going to obviously be different. Uh, but it was natural grass in Munich last year. And the Chiefs and Dolphins, no, no, I take that back. The Bucks and Seahawks played there last year, if you happen to remember. Uh, probably a game you didn't have, <laughs> you weren't dialed in, unless you had Geno Smith starting at 9.30 in the morning uh, on your fantasy team. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that it was natural grass. 
Uh, you know, uh, apparently the soccer team there played before it, it just wasn't in great shape. It was slippery. So they went and uh, it looks like in the, within the last week here, they've installed a hybrid field for the two games in Frankfurt coming up the next couple weeks. Now, so, this is a different stadium, though. That was Munich, right? Yeah. This is Frankfurt. I, yeah. Apparently they just they. This is what they did. I don't know why they did what they did. I don't know how much soccer is being played on these fields before the NFL teams roll in, but they tried something else. Next Sunday, nothing says, hey, we're going to, you know, hit you with um, quite the Christmas present and then follow up with Colts Patriots. Chiefs Dolphins to Colts Patriots. Basically, hopefully the Frankfurt fans, the first impression really stands (laughs) out because the last impression... Uh, won't necessarily be the same. Yeah, you know me. I think we should send the worst toilet bowl game over there. Like, you don't they, like Dolphins well, Chiefs I mean, they, at nine thirty in the us, morning. Kind of like that. They give us soccer friendlies over here. We don't get anything that actually matters over here. We're giving them. We're giving them a great game. We, I mean, Chiefs Dolphins is one of the one of the top five six games of the entire NFL season. Is it not? We will. I think the two. So again, the Colts play in Frankfurt coming up in two weeks. Uh, the Tuesday of that week, we will have somebody from the uh, Colts football operations department who basically is. Uh, spearheaded the travel Ugh. for this game. It, it is I can't wild. imagine. Like a little oh. bit of a glimpse. Basically, when training camp ended, they had to send some equipment on a ship over there at the end of training camp. Really? For one game. <laughs> for one game, what, three months later? Well, like, like, on a, like on a boat? That's part of the process to go over there. And then at different points, you're putting, you know, uh, beverages, you know, whatever, Pedialyte or Gatorade or water, et cetera, et cetera. That goes over on a plane, and then obviously you'll travel over there. I assume I don't. I, I think the Colts are doing the Thursday uh, night travel over there. Um, so practice here for the first two days, and then head over there. And you also run into the, you know, the Colts signed a guy on Tuesday this week. Uh, if you get into that week, one of the first things you're asking the free agents if you need to sign them and play in the game, do you have a passport? How many guys do you think on the Colts don't have a passport? I'd love. That's kind of what I want to know. Yeah, this is a great question. Yeah, not I, to, not to name names, but like, no, is there a percentage? Would, ah, if you know, fifteen percent of the guys we had to kind of work on here. I mean, the first. I mean, I'll just speak from my own personal experience. The first time I had ever been overseas was the twenty sixteen game in London. So you know, at that point, I was what twenty six years old, twenty seven years old. So I. It's not like football takes you overseas. <laughs> you know, if these guys were like travel soccer players or. You know, maybe even a little bit of basketball. You would have played on a Team USA team that maybe went overseas. I would say soccer yeah. is probably the travel sport where you go overseas a little bit more. I I would guess over half maybe needed a pass. Wow. It, well, I'm thinking the young guys maybe if you're if you're kind of a rookie or I fifth would say round guy. If you've been 2016 yeah. when the when the London experience hadn't been as abundant as it is now. At this point, if you've been in the league for a handful of years, you've probably played in some international game. But uh, we'll do that coming up in a couple weeks. You've been on. It's all about. Have you been on one of those nice vacations? <laughs> to me, to me, that's what it comes down to. If you're one of these NFL guys, uh, whether that's I with your not family yet, or I not, ha- have you been on one of the vacations where you have to go and you have to have a passport? That's basically it. That's why I had one. My wife loves going to Mexico resorts. Obviously, one thing I wanted to, and we'll touch on this Michael Pittman audio here in just a second. But for those waking up, I wanted to hear a little bit about last night Pacers over the Wizards, one forty-three to one twenty. You know, again, I remember saying to Rick Carlisle a few weeks ago, I have not seen a Pacers team with this much depth. And I I can't even recall a team that really sniffed as much depth as this team has. And last night, he shortened the rotation a little bit. So, I mean, you had guys like TJ McConnell, not in the normal normal group. Um, Isaiah Jackson, the only reason he got in the games because Miles Turner and Jalen Smith got into a little bit of foul trouble. You know, Jairus Walker, Ben Shepard, 
your two first-round picks, Jordan Wara. All these guys are outside what the normal nine-man rotation is going to be here to start the year. I was adding it up. If you look at the second unit and even dip into the third unit, Andy, you have guys that started over 250 games for you combined. I mean, Buddy Heald started 80 games for you. Aaron Neesmith started 60 games for you last year. You know, TJ McConnell was needed to play a big role. Jalen Smith was needed to play a big role. Jordan Warren played a nice Jordan amount last Warren year. Jordan started yeah. double-digit games. You know, Isaiah Jackson started double-digit games. And I'm not even factoring in your two first-round rookies. You know, most teams, a first-round rookie is going to get some minutes for you. So, Again, when you look at the meaningful roles, guys like Heald, Neesmith, Jalen Smith, what they played for you last season, Andy, there were nights where they were your number three or four guy. And last night, I found it very fitting that obviously they're out of the starting rotation. And when did the game turn? It went Heald, Jalen Smith, Aaron Neesmith came in the game. That's when it turned. And that's when Washington had to go to a bunch of guys that you were like, wait, these dudes are still in the NBA? Once that happens, and I think that is going to be something to watch throughout an 82-game season because it's only going to grow relying on your depth. You're going to have back-to-backs. You're going to be playing three and four. You're going to have road trips, et cetera, et cetera. That will be an advantage for the Pacers. Do the Pacers have the best you know, top one, two, or three trio in the league? Of course not. But when you start getting into depth and you start being able to kind of withstand what an 82-game season is all about, I think the Pacers are going to rank right up there with any team. And by the way, your boy Jairus Walker wanted to score so damn bad oh last gosh. night. <laughs> Maddie really wanted him to get a bucket. Did she? I was Did explaining. Did she feel bad for him? Well, because he had kind of a point blank layup that oh, he missed yeah, at one point. Yeah, yeah, he had a couple. And, and I was, yeah, you know, I explained to her, you know, this guy, you know, he left after his freshman year. He's a rookie, and I'm like, boy, they don't play till Saturday. It would be important for his psyche just to get a bucket. Oh, he, he's sitting in it right now. You know, you, yeah. you don't want to sit there he's, for the next he's 48 last night. hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say, I, I, listen, I, I think last night you saw what we have been talking about so much. And let me equate kind of the Pacers to the Colts. And I don't know if people like that or not. We've been talking about Gardner Minshew in the back of his baseball card, right? I mean, when going into this season, what did we kind of think of, of the Pacers? They were going to be... Uh, uh, you know, a fast up and down team. We saw that last night. They were going to shoot a lot of threes. I mean, they're going to average. I, I mean, I, if they average over 40 threes. I would not be surprised this season. You saw that with the first unit, the second unit, and the third unit last night. Uh, we talked about guys like Ben Shepard and Jarris Walker going to need some time. Both played six minutes. They're obviously going to need some time. And on top of it, we talked about the defense, the good and the bad. There was some good. There was also some bad last night, right? That Carlisle, sure. even oh, yeah. after the Early game was, on yeah, yeah, with us, and even after the game last night, KB was very, you know, forefront of, hey, this is going to take some time. Big guys we're, got in foul yeah, trouble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just, for me, whether it's ten guys or nine guys. That's not a huge deal. That's going to be something with injuries. Like you said, you know, maybe not even back-to-back, but games start to stack against each other. You know, it's funny, relating the two again, that was the worry with the Colts, was it not? That when you dipped into the backups, it was like, oh boy. You know, and and with the the Pacers, that might not be the case against other backups of other teams. That might be their second or third best strength they have this season. And I don't want to get way too far ahead of ourselves, but I guess I will. And, and when I've stated, I think this is a five or six seed, I probably have already kind of, you know, planted my flag in the ground. But Andy, when you get into playoff basketball, 
in a way, depth kind of evaporates. You know, once you get to the postseason, it's about your horses. And, you know, sure, injuries can matter to a degree, but, you know, you're playing whatever. Eight guys, maybe. You shorten that rotation big time. Your starters are logging north of 40 minutes, night in, night out. So it's going to differ then. And, you know, there's going to be a point in time in the season, and again, it might not be really till the playoffs where you feel it, where teams are just going to say, hey, we are blitzing and double-teaming Tyrese Halliburton every time he touches the ball. And someone else is going to have to facilitate. Someone else is going to have to run the show. And how do the Pacers handle that? But when you play kind of the 82-game grind and teams rest as many guys as they do, your depth can position you to be a really quality team come top eight seed time and where the Pacers are going to rank in that. So I do think it's important to have this depth, rely on it. You saw it last night. Again, it's quality. It's legit. It's at several different positions. Andrew Nemhard is a backup point guard. I mean, that is a – you'd love to have 12 and 10 that he gave you last night with, what, two turnovers, something like that. I mean, that is a dream. And so that can be really beneficial to you for the next you know handful of months. Now, again, you know maybe a different conversation arrives in April and May, but as of now and how the season evolves – it's such a great advantage the Pacers have, and I would say, Andy, on most nights, they will have an advantage in that depth area. Uh, you want to get to this? Let's do it. Michael Pittman Jr. Now, this is sound. Is this sound from your iPhone? Is that what we got here? Is this you know, doing journalism? Uh, I, we took this right from your Twitter. Sam ripped it right the, from your how's Twitter. How's the quality, Sam? It's a, it's, I think it sounds fine. Does it get fine. the job done? Yeah, I think it'll be good audio. Okay. Yeah, I think All it's right. pretty good audio. It's about 45 seconds or so. So, obviously, uh, everyone, you guys... Uh, as a media throng all went in and you surrounded Michael Pittman Jr. yesterday, Could correct? I set the scene a little bit Yeah, here? set the scene. Please so again, do. Michael Pittman Jr. post-game to Nate Atkins uh, from the Indianapolis Star, and I'm paraphrasing here. He was frustrated in the post-game locker room about not getting the ball enough. I think he echoed, and I think it's a direct quote, maybe I'm not a big part of this offense was the quote. Um, and so I was curious just kind of how the NFL cycle works, Andy, of guys make post-game comments on a Sunday. They are usually filled with some raw emotion. How do they stand by them, clarify whatever on a Wednesday or Thursday when they meet the media again? I didn't personally feel the need that Michael Pittman Jr. needed to have some grandiose statement. Sure. I, you know, I think we talked sure. about it on Monday and Tuesday. I largely chalk it up to incredibly competitive individual. I know that sounds cliche, but Pittman is different in my opinion. Part of that is he's the son of a 10-year NFL veteran. Um, I also thought the timing of it was just a little – if you want to nitpick it, after he scored 38 points and had 450 total yards of offense, the timing is probably not great uh, in that situation. And I don't think this was the Colts and Pittman coming together saying, hey, man, you're getting ripped right now, and you need to say something. Like I, I don't think this is a – um, you have a big storyline out there, and the player now is scrambling to save face. Um, you know, I simply asked one of the Colts PR people, I was like, hey, is Michael Pittman going to be available today? He's like, yeah, you know, he, he kind of just pointed, if he's at his locker, go ahead and talk to him. But, like, I don't think this is a plan per right, se. Right. I don't think there's been too many people ripping him. No, Probably no, some fans guess, have. Yeah. It's a harmful, here it is, it's a harmful misstep. Yeah. That's kind of the way I see it. It draws headlines because you don't really have Colts players do that very sure. often. And the quote on paper stands out. It does. When you provide context around the quote, I think it lessens how much it stands out. But 
Michael Pittman clearly felt some sort of need to clarify what he said on Sunday. Again, I thought he handled it tremendously. Here was Michael Pittman yesterday. I kind of wanted to come here and kind of clear that up. I mean, obviously, it was a very frustrating loss the way that it happened. And uh, I've never been a good loser. I'm actually a very poor sport. It's something that I've been working on like my whole life. Um, and it's just hard for me sometimes. And, and uh, when like you lose, sometimes you lose your composure. You like lose your head. And um, and I think I I uh, was a little dramatic like, when I said that. Um, Obviously, I am a big part of this offense. Like, I lead the team in targets and, and um, stuff like that. So, you know, like, like just like it was out of frustration. And um, and I just wanted to clear up that I love playing here, that I love Indy and um, everything that we do here. Um, and um, I'm excited for this uh, week coming up. And, and, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to clear that up. I think for me, when you read, was it Monday? It was in the 9 o'clock hour, I think, on Monday when when you kind of read that quote from the Indy star. Nate Atkins had that, and I immediately said I didn't like it. And I think what's changed for me the last few days is twofold, is number one, Michael Pittman Jr. I'm not saying like he gets a pass if he does this next week and he does it in two you know two weeks down the road and it's like okay we get to, we get to December and you know KB and we have you know four or five instances of him being very publicly critical of his role within the offense then I think we can sit here and say okay is he pulling a Jonathan Taylor does he not want to be here we can kind of get into some of those things but Pittman was pissed off and this kind of goes to my thoughts which we'll get into in the eight o'clock hour with Jim Ursay like. Like, I'm fine with it. That was a bad, bad loss on Sunday. Uh, and they've had a couple of those, but Sunday was one of those games that is absolutely a season-swinging type of loss. In these 50-50 games in the NFL, you got to win these games if you're going to make the playoffs. And Michael Pittman has, is looking at it, and he knows that, right? And he and he also knows that he's a really, really good player. Like, on top of it, I know it's a contract year uh, and everything else. So him showing that emotion, much like Ursay, you know, pandering to his fan base on the two calls, or the, you know, yeah, yeah, I was going to say no calls. It should have been no call in the last one. The, uh, the two calls at the end of the game, I'm fine with it. And you know, also, I think people around here, especially you, you know his personality. Him saying that's a little bit, was a little bit out of character, I guess. And frankly, the Colts need more Michael Pittman Juniors that have the edge they that he plays with. Like, if you watch him block, if you watch him go after a fumble, like, this dude lays it on the line. He's incredibly durable. The Colts have had banged-up wideouts throughout their careers. I mean, you see it every week, and a lot of wideouts get banged up in this league. Tyree Kill, he's in question to play coming up on Sunday. Um, and I just think the edge that he plays with, I've said it a million times, and some people are probably tired of me saying it, there's no USC pretty boy with Michael Pittman. There is none of that. The, he he flips a switch when he's on the field, and it's honestly, honestly part of the reason why I think it makes sense to bring him back. I think I can acknowledge he's not a top 10 wideout in this league, but he's an important piece to what you need to be about and the depth of your wideout group moving forward. Um, I got a text when that clip was playing, and they pointed out here, you know, my issue with Pittman's initial comments is that he dropped a touchdown pass and then comes out with that complaint. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go back and watch that it play. Makes sense. I, I don't know if it that is sense. an outright touchdown, to be clear. I don't think it was like, you know, Foster Moreau's drop that you had on Thursday night football last week for the Saints. But, you know, Pittman, you know, he had an opportunity. It was a difficult grab. But, you know, as our listener points out, if, you know, you are a top, top flight wideout, you do make that catch. 
I am curious shifting to Sunday now with Pittman. And I don't want to say that what Pittman said on Sunday is like what T.Y. Hilton did in Houston a handful of years ago. But Pittman did say something Sunday. He he showed frustration in a public manner like he hasn't shown it before. And I largely think it was to do with the loss and honestly probably to do with here I am playing with another new quarterback. Like I think that is just part of the root of his frustration, understandably. Now, let's look at Sunday. T.Y. Hilton, a handful of years ago, Andy, wore a clown mask <laughs> to a playoff game in Houston. I looked this up, by the way. Yeah. A clown. I, the man literally walked. I mean, Bruce Brown last <laughs> night was what? Was he naked, I believe, underneath those overalls, looking like a cowboy walking into Bakersfield? Hey, you don't it, care about those things as much. You don't care about the swag before the game as much as I do, I don't think. I'm always looking at that. that you be, what did Bruce Brown do last night? He was a leading scorer for the Pacers. <laughs> Obi Toppin goes with very baggy stuff. Like back when I was in middle school and high school. Obi Toppin in midair. That is quite the sight to see. I must. I'm looking at the clown mask right now. Did anybody notice uh, Tyrese Halliburton looking like an Indiana version of Keanu Reeves? (laughs) Yeah, Tyrese also. A lot of. Right out of the Matrix. Baggy clothes with that. Uh, So T.Y. Hilton literally says to a Colts equipment staff, uh, go to Value World. Grab me a clown mask. Love it. Go wherever. Get me one. And what does Frank Reich dial up on the first series of that playoff game in Houston? What does Andrew Luck do on that first series in Houston? First third down of the game, third and 12, T.Y. for 12. Next third down, they go back to T.Y., move the chains again. And then they hit Houston over the top with a big gain to T.Y. That first drive (laughs) of a road playoff game, third down conversion, third down conversion, 40-yard chunk over the top, T.Y. Hilton making his presence felt immediately. Again, what Michael Pittman said is not a clown mask. I want to make that very clear. But I am curious, when you're facing a guy like Marshawn Lattimore, one of the better corners in the league, what do we see from Michael Pittman on Sunday? Because, you know, does this charge him at all? I mean, this is just a week that he hasn't had in his NFL career. Again, it's nowhere near the level of statement that T.Y. Hilton made. But I'm just curious how Pittman is going to play on Sunday after a week where he did say something. He felt the need to clarify it. He's playing one of the best corners in the NFL. What Pittman do we see on Sunday in a game that I think we say, if you want meaningful football late in the year, you better get this one. I guess T.Y. Hilton, do you remember the DB that he was trolling? Uh, yeah, Jonathan Joseph, Jonathan correct? Joseph, yeah, that's it. Blast from the past there. T.Y. Would... has ownership stake. I saw yesterday, and I must say, it flashed before my eyes the, the, the headline. The headline was Miles Garrett ownership stake, and for a brief second I thought it said Colts. <laughs> Okay, yeah. yeah. Did it say Cavs, right? Uh-huh. He's a minority owner in, yeah. the, in the Cavs. He put some money in now, the Cavs. T.Y. Hilton, you know, he, he, I don't think it's minority. I think he's the majority owner of the Houston Texans with what T.Y. did to the Texans throughout his career. <laughs> you thought it was going to be that sports pun. Instead, it's actually Miles Garrett giving money to the Cleveland Cavaliers and only part of them. Because don't you get that? Like the Wikipedia oh, all pages the time. change, all the time. You know, all the time. They did one this week. I forget who it was. It was something baseball related. Sam, I won't bring that up. I won't bring Corbin up. Corbin Carroll I, has I, a minority yeah. stake in the Phillies. I won't bring Sam, up baseball. I won't bring that up. You've brought up baseball twice already. <laughs> At one you, time, it was off the air, wasn't it? the show oh, I guess you're right. with high Seven Sam Phillies lost. Yeah. I am. I thought Fair Pittman point. handled that yesterday <laughs> beautifully. I, yeah, I, I thought he handled it really, fine. really well. I thought the description of just his emotions and, and how he is. Um, again, you want more of that. I don't frankly think he needed to go to the extent that he did, but you know, credit to him for 
for doing that, and I'm really curious to see how he plays on Sunday. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where he, he's looking at probably like, this is not, listen, I am competitive as hell. I'm upset. I should have got the ball more. He's probably thinking I should have pulled in a second touchdown there and, you know, how the game is different. He's upset. They lost. It, it's not... It's not a bad locker room guy malicious. It's just a harmful misstep. That that's that's what I think it is. And so I'm not surprised uh, the kind of guy he is that he came back. I think the other thing, and we'll go to break with this. I think the other thing, KB, is it it, it looked bad because two of the last three games, Josh Downs has been good. Does that make sense? That like, hey, well, maybe when you say something like that in a way you are diminishing what? Josh Downs 125 yards, yeah. Jonathan Taylor 120, uh, even Alec Pierce actually who, who, made a couple yeah, plays. Yeah, who had a couple plays. But you look at the last three games, uh, Downs has been pretty damn good. Two touchdowns in those uh, last three contests. I mean, you look at it, what, I think it's 20 targets over those three. So I, I, that's that's the only thing that kind of could be seen as, well, maybe it rubs somebody the wrong way was, yeah, you may have a less few catches and targets, but Josh Downs is emerging as another weapon for this offense, which is so stinking valuable. That is a cotton candy looking sky right over Riley Towers. It looks glorious. Man, enjoy glorious. it. Enjoy because Sunday it's going to rain all day and then it's going to be 40 degrees. Yeah, we can chalk up roof closed. Please. Right? Roof, What's that? Roof closed, certainly for Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it looks ugly. <laughs> Deshaun Watson his big coat over there on the sideline. Honestly, without Derek Carr, a week ago Thursday, that, that yeah, might yeah. be a good idea to keep that roof open, actually, uh, for Sunday. All right, on the other side, we'll get back into our Pacers conversation. And also, on the Colts' front, there is one issue that I think is being swept under the rug too much with this football team right now. I want to make sure we touch on that coming up at some point as well. I'm Kevin Bowen. He's Andy Sweeney. Sam Fritz in for Mark Dykton. Thank you for tuning in to the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy here. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On a Thursday. 8 o'clock hour, broadcasting live from the DriveHubler.com studios. Appreciate you being part of the program. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. It's a wake-up call. Sam Fritz hanging out with us. Fun full uh, first hour. Tons of Michael Pittman conversation, the Colts and Saints, and obviously last night in GameBridge uh, where KB was signing autographs. He had the VIP service, and I don't, I don't know what else. People, people no, bringing him no. food and drink and everything else. Uh, the Pacers did get the big win. Very fun atmosphere, Were you? though. You were under the radar. I don't like that. Cambridge Field. You're a celebrity, there. damn it. You're supposed to you're supposed to get that treatment. You know, just quickly before we dive back into uh, obviously you saw a nine man for the most part rotation last night. The good and bad with the defense. Halliburton fantastic. Brown fantastic. Uh we can go on and on. And so we'll get back to the Pacers quickly. I just something happened that I have and I should have teased this. Something happened that I have never seen happen before. In sports history, Whoa. within the last 12 hours. And maybe you guys have seen it, okay? Maybe there's someone driving around today older than me says, I remember back in the 70s, the Steelers did this. Uh, fair enough. I have never seen this. After one game, okay, and, and an 82 NBA game schedule, after one game, 
The Chicago Bulls players had a players-only meeting last night after they lost at home by 20 to the Thunder. That's awesome. One game. That sums up the Bulls. (laughs) One game, man. Not even like, ah, it's week two. You know, we played six, seven games, and we're two and five on the year, and we're struggling. They played one game, KB, and they said, you know what, Billy Donovan and that haircut that hasn't changed in 35 years, you go out and sit outside. We're going to have a players-only meeting. I tell you, Zach Levine, Zach Levine, he's getting traded. That guy's getting traded. That is so it, Chicago Bulls. It's not even They're going to be a bad funny. team this year. Uh, bad yeah, team. You know, a couple other, I think, Pacers notes from last night. We've certainly harped on the depth. It's quality. It's It's legit. It's going to be such an advantage over the course of a 82-game grind when you get into, you know, three games in four nights. You get into, you know, road trips, back-to-backs, et cetera, et cetera. Teams start to rest guys, and you saw it on display. You know, the first quarter, obviously, defense was a major issue, and then you left Bruce Brown in at that second group, and all of a sudden, Buddy Heald hit a couple shots. I thought Jalen Smith gave you really important minutes in that second quarter. I, I thought he was good. He was good in the preseason, too. Yeah. Uh, to me, he's a rotation. Like, you easy. know, he started last year at the four, and yeah. now he's kind of your he's your backup five. You know, beat out Daniel Tice and Isaiah Jackson for that, and I thought he was really important last night. I like that Benedict Matherin ends the night with five assists. You know, he still is your attacker, and he attacks, and he attacks, and at times, just get into that lane, take a breath, and find a guy. And I thought last night he did that more than we are used to with him. Um, you know, I don't know what I like more from Bruce Brown, Andy. The fact that he's your leading scorer, that's what probably everybody goes to. But I look at Jordan Poole's stat line, and that is the top wing player on the other end of the floor. And Jordan Poole, 7 of 18. Yeah. He's 0 of 6 from 3. He turned it over four times. I laughed at his over-under. It was what, like 20? Was It, it was low 20s. It was I mean, like I, 21 and a half before the game. And I'm I thinking, thought that was a lock. Yeah, 100%. Him having 18 points is probably the biggest surprise of this entire game. And again, that is something that, okay, you look at Saturday night. What does Bruce Brown do against Donovan Mitchell? I mean, these are, I mean, night sure. in, night out. You know, you play the Bulls on Monday. What does he do against Zach Levine? I mean, these are the sorts of assignments he's going to get. It, 24 points in 27 minutes is probably not going to be the norm for Bruce Brown, but if he can provide that sort of presence on the other end, uh, that's critical because I think overall, in general, your perimeter defense with the other guys in that starting lineup, that's going to continue to be a big question mark for you. Again, what I said in our number one KB was 24 points last night, only one time in the regular season last year did Brown do that for the Nuggets and only one time in the postseason. And you know what Poole reminded me of? Last night, I got thinking about it this morning as well. When Kevin Durant, remember, you know, obviously everyone remembers when he went to Golden State, right? And it was a surprise. I remember, I forget exactly what day it was, but I remember because it was a day that nationally it was all the fill-in hosts. <laughs> and I remember thinking, boy, they got lucky, right? They got lucky they to preview some crap story. They got like the biggest story, okay? Kevin Durant, he says where he's going to go and it's freaking Golden State. But one reason he, he went there, be, you know, besides the obvious winning and everything else, was to be around other good players. And the point was, hey, at Oklahoma City, you're having to work so hard for your for your points. If you get, you know, to get a clean look, to get the kind of shot you're going to get in our offense, you got to work pretty hard. In the Golden State offense, you're not going to have to work as hard. You're playing with better players, et cetera, et cetera. Jordan Poole has been playing with who? Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, 
Andrew Wiggins, I mean, at times probably played what uh, with Harrison Barnes before Harrison Barnes moved on. Point being, and I know Golden State right now, last year, last couple years, hasn't been uh, what, you know, kind of what they had been when they were winning championships and at the height of their reign. But Jordan Poole now is, is on a floor <laughs> with Kyle Kuzma and Tyus Jones. Right, I, I mean that's different. Oh, yeah. Tossing Gallinari for a few minutes last yeah. night, he yeah. looked like he was <laughs> okay, all NBA. Yeah, I know he looked fine, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's a it him now. Well, the shots that he used to get, I'm sure he is going to find out with Golden State were easier, and people were paying attention to other guys on the floor. And now you're in Washington, and that's not going to be the case. That's not taking anything away uh, from Brown, not and, at all. It's just reality. Sure. And I think another thing to note about last night, it's that when you have, and again, TJ McConnell was technically out of the rotation. When you have Tyrese Halliburton and Andrew Nemhard and their ability to give you 22, you know, combined, or what was it, 20 combined assists, and then also both be double-digit scores, that, you know, Rick Carlisle said it so accurately after the game. The strength of this basketball team is the point guard position. I mean, those two are the catalyst. And there were times last night, or even Maddie said to me, like, wow, I feel like we're we're almost passing too much. Like there were there were a couple <laughs> turnovers there where it was like everyone was trying to make the extra pass. And ultimately, that's the culture you want. Like y- you'd rather have that than the alternative than of not selfish, making enough right. passes. But you know, 38 assists. Uh, for those that maybe don't follow a, an NBA box score on a night-in, night-out basis, that is an astonishing number. 38 assists. I think Nate McMillan, back when he was here, I want to say 25 was the nightly goal that he had for his team. So you get to 38. That's why you score 143. Um, and, and again, the second unit, Buddy Heal, Jalen Smith, uh, even Aaron Neesmith. I know the box score might not show it, but I thought he was important last night. As well, so the Pacers, uh, they have seven of their first nine at home, as Rick Carlisle has said to us on several occasions here, when he's joined the show the last couple of Tuesdays. This start of the year is an opportunity to get some, and it was important. You, you will go on the road mm-hmm. Saturday, but then after that, you've got six of seven at home. Quickly, uh, Carlisle last night, just to wrap up the Pacer conversation, Bruce Brown uh, was so very good. I, you know, him him finding a spot here in this starting lineup, he's going to be a quality player. Here's, here's what Carlisle had to say. You know, for a guy like Bruce who was playing in mid-June, um, you know, the, the preseason is an opportunity to get to know your teammates, find out where your shots are likely to come, and then and then rep things out and be ready for game one, and that's exactly what he did. I mean, I get here early every day. He's here before me every day. And, you know, he's an early he's an early morning guy. And you, you, you walk in the gym, and Luke Combs is playing, and he is he's shooting and, and doing his stuff. And, uh, you know, tonight he did exactly what we signed him to do. <clears throat> he was a no-frills veteran competitor that was ready to play on night number one. Now the crowd needs to get behind the no frills. Bruce. Oh, that's gonna happen. The, like that, that that's got to get there. I, I I heard it a little bit last night. It's got to be. Yeah, but that's Everyone's a layup. Got to be in unison. KB, that's a layup. Fans can do that. I the know. Bruce thing, that's it easy. Just, by game two, you're calling people out. You're saying to do it. By game two, won't be a problem. It's got to be there. It's got to <laughs> be there. Monday night, Chicago. That's an absolute must. Um, one Colts item that I want to make sure we hit on today. And again, Scott Agnes going to join us here at eight thirty. We'll get back into the little, little Pacers then. Andy, this goes back to last season. And you know what? Part of me was like, Kevin, are you allowed to do that? Are we allowed to go back to last year? 
But I thought a little bit more about it, and it's a defensive-related issue that I have. And when the coordinator is the same, when the personnel is largely the same, obviously you've made some changes at corner, but for the most part, you've got about seven or eight defensive starters that you had last season. I felt like it was worth going back to. The Colts have an issue right now closing out games defensively. And when you start to look at it, Andy, it's a little bit more of a glaring issue than I think any of us have given credence to. The Colts have won one of their last nine home games. One and eight the last nine times they've been inside of Lucas Oil It's Stadium. a staggering stat, honestly. If you it look really at is. those eight losses, Andy, half of the eight, so four of the eight, are by one single point. Obviously, Sunday being one of them. You go back to the season finale last year with Houston. You go back to the Washington and Philadelphia games last season where those were probably the final breaking points. I don't think the train had gone off the tracks just yet. You know, Houston to end the year, okay, we could we could maybe call that one a little bit of an outlier. But Washington and Philly, you were still, you know, I mean, the Colts did start three, I think it was three, two, and one maybe it was last year. Like, it's a very similar record, honestly, to what they have this season. But I bring this up because this is a Gus Bradley-led defense. It is a defense that, whether it's Buckner, whether it's Quiddy, whether it's Grover Stewart, whether it's Shaq Leonard, whether it's Zaire Franklin, whether it's Julian Blackman, Kenny Moore. I mean, again, a lot of the defensive personnel is the same. And I think back to how those games have ended. The four one-point losses, Andy, have all included a game-winning touchdown drive by your opponent in the final two minutes. And you're not even counting the Rams game. No, no, no. I'm I, mean, not, yeah, yeah, you're I, not, you're, I mean, you're being benevolent. I right. would throw that game in there as well. Yeah. I, I want to focus on these four sure. one-point losses because what stands out to me in each of these four games, Andy, is you have allowed final minute. When your crowd is rocking, you've allowed final minute 75, 80, 85-yard touchdown drives. And when you look at the quarterbacks, you want to look the other way. Taylor Heineke in the Commanders, nine-play, 89-yard touchdown drive in the final two minutes. Now, obviously, Philadelphia's Jalen Hurts, so that uh, is somewhat understandable. 11 plays, 75 yards. Davis Mills, Andy. <laughs> I knew you were going with Davis Mills. I knew his day was coming up. 14 play, <laughs> yeah. 83-yard drive, yeah. multiple fourth-down conversions, and then if you want more salt in wounds, how about the two-point conversion for the win as Lovey Smith exits and gets fired an hour later with a 14-play touchdown drive plus two-point two point conversion. And then, obviously, yesterday, uh, on Sunday, P.J. Walker, 12-play, 80-yard drive. And if you want to say, hey, you know, we actually closed that one, again, it's a 60-yard drive before the officiating becomes an issue for you. So think about that, Andy. Four one-point losses, your inability to protect home field as you're 1-8 in the final nine games – and your defense has walked on the field in a two-minute situation needing one stop and one field goal stop. Like, these are all touchdown drives, all of them. And obviously, Jalen Hurts is an MVP type of quarterback. Those other three dudes, they ain't starters in this league. And Taylor Heineke, Davis Mills, and P.J. Walker. And Jalen Hurts, by the way, in that game had 190 yards. Yeah, and, and I you think— know, I mean, he wasn't great. That was, You got the C-minus— you know, performance from the Eagles last year. Colts fans will recall, you know, third and goal right at the middle. Rick Venturi, I thought maybe he was going to have a baby in the press conference. His <laughs> reaction at the parting of the seas there for the game-winning touchdown. But I bring this up, Andy, because, you know, 
games in the NFL are largely decided by these sorts of possessions. And if you look at, and maybe it's unfair to do so, but I think back to the Manning era, having Robert Mathis and Dwight Franey opposite each other, they slammed the door shut. Like, Didn't Cleveland slam it shut once Gardner got the ball back late? I mean, they had that final strip. Who on this defensive line? Because I, I point... I, put most of it on that position group on the front seven just the line or the front yeah, seven as a front whole seven because speed kind of made the play right you and, know and, and, which and, is and unfortunate can be involved in right it. and so some of this falls on Gus Bradley as well but who's going to step up and be that closer we don't think of football necessarily of having closers but you can close I mean how many times does Mahomes convert a third and six to ice a game right that right. can be an element of closing and no, we think about it from the offensive side more than not. Right, like and I, the defensive side has bit the Colts in the ass. Like I'm looking at Mike Chappell on Sunday before the Colts come out for that final drive, and I'm thinking, wouldn't this be a time for a quitty pay statement? A rookie right tackle and Dewan Jones, the crowd is rocking. Wouldn't this be a time? Philip Walker holds on to the football. You know, that would be an opportunity to slam it shut. So um I think if you are looking for Things that need to improve. And again, maybe it's unfair of me to go back to last season considering it's the same coordinator and largely the same personnel. I don't think it's that unfair to do it all. Um, One-point losses. One and eight at home is inexcusable. And to allow four touchdown drives in the last year to those quarterbacks, all of them you know, north of 70 yards, uh, I I think it's an issue that we should pay more more attention to. Oh, I (sighs) – it's it's the teams they're allowing it against – it's the, the it's the quarterback specifically like they're allowing the Rams, it against. Uh, like, okay. Yeah. I, I, you don't love it, but that's why I didn't group that one in with the others. And that was one that obviously it was a tie game. You didn't you didn't have the lead. It was an overtime game. It was a tie game. It was per an se. odd game, right? It wasn't a one-point yeah. game. No, you were being benevolent uh, when because I would have thrown that one in. I don't know what the answer here is. You, you need more out of your D line. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's part of it. I think and the I'd other like part. More out of Gus Bradley. I, maybe you need to throw more heat if you're Gus Bradley. I mean, I'm, try, I'm trying to think heat here. Heat at Heineke. Heat at Mills. Heat at Walker. I mean, don't you feel like the New Orleans game upcoming, probably on Sunday, you could foresee a situation where. It's a one-score game, and Carr has the ball and has to go 75 yards? Well, and, You could see that, could you not? And and you know what? Think back to last year's Raiders game, the lone Jeff Saturday win. In Vegas, very similar situation. Uh, obviously a road game. And the reason you shut that drive out and you closed that game wasn't necessarily because you made some play to end it with your pass rush. It was Stephon Gilmore knocking down a ball intended for Devontae Adams. So, it, again, even there, and, of course, Gilmore was the guy that did close for you in Denver, did close for you in Vegas last season. He is no longer here. Um, I tend to think, again, closers fall a little bit more. It starts with the with the front. It starts with that pressure. Um, you know, go back to the Chiefs game last season, Andy. Week three, the Colts win that game. To me, that was some pressure on Mahomes, forcing a throw. Julian Blackman hauls in an interception there to end it. But to me... That's what starts it. It's the pin your ears back defensive line. Everybody in the stadium knows that you're throwing it. You're going to have one run on that drive, and it's going to be the play before the two-minute warning. No no teams are running it outside of that. Um, so I put more of that 
on your D-line. Uh, I wanted to bring this up before we get to a morning check down. Can you bring me up clip seven, uh, Sam? I appreciate that. Sorry to put you on the spot. Shane Steichen, because I think what you – I was going to bring this up in the, in the 9 o'clock hour, but I think it's better here. What you're talking about is kind of the direction of the team. And listen, we understand there's a bunch of teams that are like the Colts, that are three and four, four and three. You know what I'm saying, three and three. A bunch of teams around the NFL that have won three, four games, and perhaps they've lost three, four games, and we understand understand that some of those teams go in the right direction and some of them go in the wrong direction and games that are close if we get one against the Saints on Sunday what we saw with the Rams most definitely what you're talking about with the Browns go ahead and play this clip and I want to react because I think this is exactly what you're talking about I think there's been a lot of good um, that we've done and I think you know in this league it's, it comes down to the details and I think our focus and our preparation you know maintain this maintain the same because I feel like we are doing a lot of good things and uh, the wins will come but we got to keep our foot down uh, keep our focus uh, dialed in keep the preparation the same and uh, I think you know when you get into these November December you kind of really find out teams are either climbing or they're going to start dropping off so we got to make sure as an organization football team that we're climbing. Yeah, and to me, those 50-50 type games is how you keep climbing. When they have won games, what's it like doing that show? What is it like around the Colts for that week? You know that. I don't need to tell. It's a rhetorical question. You guys understand. And what is it when you have a game like you had against the Browns? I don't know if it's better players. I don't know if it's more experience. I don't know if it's blitzing more. I don't know if it's, you know, Shane Steichen can't give 10 points up at the end of the first half. It's all, you can't get a field goal blocked. You can't let Miles Garrett ruin your team in the first two quarters. All of these things uh, kind of go in with each other, but when you have a chance to win and there's a final drive, we had a caller, what, two days ago say, I kind of feel like everything got erased then, right? When the defense comes out and there's one more possession and you know the game's coming down to this, to hell with everything else. Well, especially I, you, at home, you know, when, when your crowd should be Why are they rocking, so bad at home? I, I just, I'll never understand why they're so bad at home. It, it, you know, it's funny you play that Steichen clip. That was a question I asked Shane yesterday, and, and my question was, you know, it's the first time, you've coached a team that's lost two in a row. Are you curious how they will respond to that? You know, Shane has all these little, you know, okay, now the team's won a couple of in a row. How are they going to respond to that? You know, losing streaks, how do they respond to that? If you look at the Frank Reich era, obviously take the last year out, for the most part, Andy, they responded very well after losing streaks. They started 1-5 in 2018 and went on a big run. Uh, It was kind of where the bullseye rose for them. That was when, uh, or, or grew for them, that's when they did struggle. Um, but, you know, he mentions climbing the ladder late. If you want to continue that analogy, games like Sunday, games like next week in Carolina, the Patriots game in Germany, if you want any chance to climb the ladder, you first have got to get on the ladder. And in order to create meaningful late November into December, you got to take care of business here the next few weeks because you squander the last two. And we talked about leading into Jacksonville. Monumental mid-October divisional game. We talked about it last week. Monumental mid-October wild card implication game. Okay? We're not going to say that for Sunday with New Orleans in terms of division because New Orleans is an NFC team. We won't say that next week with Carolina. We probably won't say that with New England unless for some reason they Mm -hmm. win their next two. But we say it in that if you want to feel some game playoff implication pressure with games later in the year – these are the ones that you've got to make sure that you take hey, care KB, of. KB, I would – listen, here's how I feel. I feel like 
they need to win. Uh, and I hate and I hate doing this. I, I almost feel like they need to win the next three. I mean, don't you? I mean, yeah. at least Carolina and New England. I mean, they're gonna right. have to win. So you know, if you go two and one, you'd be what five and five at the bye. If, if you win the next three, I, you'd be six yeah, and four. And I could roll with five and five. You know, Tampa Bay. Let's see what happens with Tampa Bay. You know, I mean, they started out hot. They're a team that I think they're one of those middling teams that could fall off. I'm not a huge Todd Bowles as a head coach fan. Baker Mayfield is very limited. Uh, so I could see them. You know, they're not a playoff team in my opinion. So I could see. You know, I could see Tampa Bay in the next three four weeks kind of, you know, become who we kind of thought they were going to be. I mean, before the season, didn't we kind of think they were going to be in the Caleb Williams, Drake May sweepstakes that, you know, Tampa Bay would be one of those teams with like four wins this season. Uh, Tennessee could very well be starting Malik Willis or Will Levis or a hobbled Ryan Tannehill. You already beat them once. I, I don't know. I just, so you have the fourth easiest schedule the rest of the Yeah, way. but this was the this was the point because of the quarterbacks. Now, Cleveland's different because I, I actually think, you you know, Schwartz is a pretty good defensive coach. I think they're kind of a well-coached team, and Cleveland does have that defense, even though you crushed that that defense. That losing to Cleveland, they're not like to me. To me, Cleveland's going to be around playing games in late November that matter. New Orleans, Carolina, and New England are not going to be so. In the bad team ranking, to me, those. Uh, very much are different than what we saw in here Sunday with the Browns in Lucas Oil. I, to me, you got to win these next three games. It starts on Sunday. You got to win these next three games. And, we know, one of these games is at home. It's on Sunday. Got to win these games at home. Like, to me, we talked about, I think I brought it up on Tuesday, the importance of this game and being 4-4 four and four and not 3-5 and five is substantial for everything around this football team. Derek throws this out. I wouldn't be surprised to see a change of defensive coordinator after the season. Scheme around the strengths of your players. Stop being stubborn or scared. If this trend continues, Andy, and we just talked about the inability to close, particularly at home, uh, I think it's a conversation that you have to have. And I know Shane Steichen and Gus Bradley uh, have a relationship, and I know that uh, Gus Bradley was someone that the staff, Chris Boward, wanted to bring back. Certainly, he made that very clear. But, Andy, it's something because the personnel has been pretty similar. And if you're squandering home opportunities sitting on a platter, if you told the coach at the start of the year, hey, you're going to have 17 chances all season long where your team is up four with two minutes to go and you've got the crowd noise on your side and your defense has got to defend 80 yards, you would sign up every single week for 17. <laughs> you, yeah. you're, yeah. you're I mean, thinking to right. yourself, yeah. we're right. going to win, what, three-fourths of those games? Two-thirds of them? I mean, you're going to win a big chunk in the last four times the Colts have had that opportunity, not including the Rams. They've lost each and every one of them to quarterbacks you would not consider elite outside of Jalen I, I mean, you're again, KV's being nice here. we got to get to a check down. The Jacksonville game week one, I mean, they led in the fourth quarter. I mean, we need not forget they led in the fourth quarter of that game. I think that was some other units contributing to it. You had the punt. Butner had the the touchdown, so the defense made a play. And then obviously Richardson throws the pick when, you know, you kind of had the chance to drive late in that game. But notwithstanding, there are... Even other games, the Rams certainly. The, the Rams stick out to me as a, ga- game as a game where home. they just went right down the field the yeah. way that Cleveland went right down the field. I mean, you have Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, making big-time plays. I guess for me it would be, and this would be the last thing on this for me, would be my kickback on 
the Gus Bradley. And while I can understand that, and, and ultimately that may be something we get to the end of the year and they go get somebody else and that's fine and it's understandable, to me would be how much talent is he working with? Well, and, 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 I, and I think when we talk about, well, let's blitz, I'm with you. I, I am a believer in making especially marginal to bad quarterbacks feel uncomfortable. The problem with that is you've got to believe what's on the back end of your defense. And I'm not sure you can. And let's be honest, they immediately picked on Daryl Baker Jr. when he was in the game. And Juju Brents is missing time, right? I mean, he's missing time. That defensive backfield has taken a couple you know, massive hits to their depth, and that's not an area that they could really do so. So it's fine. If you blitz, that's good, but you better get home because if you don't, it's most likely going to be a substantial play. Well, that's the, whole, the other side. Yeah, scheme versus talent. I mean, Andy, back-to-back games, you know, nearly 100 snaps for Quiddy Pay and no sacks and no quarterback hit. And, and again, he faced a backup, a backup and, and more a rookie right tackle in Dewan Jones and could not create that pressure when you needed it. So I think that's certainly a fair point to bring up. Uh, all right, we're going to get back to the Pacers conversation with Scott Agnes here in a few. Let's lead off the morning check down with what happened on opening night. The morning check down. Yeah, we've been talking about it all morning. Pacers, nice win to get things going in Gamebridge last night. 143-120, that's your final 23-point uh, win there. Halliburton, a quiet 20. <laughs> you could say it, right? A quiet 20 and 11. Do Bruce not Brown, take it for granted. Uh, do not. 24 points from Bruce Brown. About a nine-man rotation. We heard from Rick Carlisle earlier in the show. Uh, elsewhere around the association, Celtics, late win over the Knicks in New York, 108. 8104 Donovan Mitchell uh drained a three game winning three 114 113 the Cavs over the Nets of course the Cavs and Pacers coming up on Saturday Heat 103 102 over the Pistons the Bulls lost by 20 and had a players only meeting we had some fun with that uh Doncic another triple double 126 119 over the Spurs Wembenyana had what did he have like 15 points in that one 15 points yeah, 5 rebounds of 9 uh, for him yeah interesting what they do with them. So a busy night last night in the association. Brought up the Pistons as we keep our local tabs on guys. Uh, not a good opening night for Jaden Ivey. Off the bench, a little surprised to see that. One of seven from the floor for him with three turnovers, just four points for the Purdue product. All right, Colts practice yesterday. Five guys did not participate. That would be on offense, Zach Moss, heel and elbow. Braden Smith continues to watch from the sideline, wrist and hip injury for the right tackle would be a third straight miss game for him. So, uh, obviously an important day today for Braden Smith if he's going to play on Sunday. Kylan Granson remains at concussion protocol as he missed last week. And then on defense, the two guys that got hurt on Sunday, Juju Brents, as Andy uh, talked about him a little bit earlier, quad injury expected to miss some time. And Eric Johnson, who was playing the most for Grover Stewart on Sunday, he was out due to an ankle injury, so some injuries to watch. Uh, going into today's second practice of the week. Uh, Thursday Night Football, you, I am um, <laughs> queasy about starting yeah. Baker Mayfield in my well, fantasy football. You should league. be. This isn't Oklahoma football. <laughs> this is not Oklahoma versus Iowa State Saturday at noon. Just, you know, Bills score a lot. That means Tampa's got to throw it a lot. No? Maybe? Do they score a lot on Thursday night football? That's the other thing. Like, the over-under on this game is 43 and a half. Well, that's, that's decent. It's not horrible. It's, it's not horrible. I, I don't know, man. 
Would you rather do... The Bills need this, by the way. Oh, the Bills need this a lot. No, I mean, the Bills have lost two of the three uh, that could have easily have lost to the Giants a couple weeks ago. Buffalo, if they go to 4-4, four and four, we'll walk in here on Friday, and I think it's absolutely not out of the realm of possibility to say, A, they don't make the playoffs, and B, they are the most disappointing team thus far this season. That would be a fair thing to say, would it not? It's so Jekyll and Hyde. Week 2, 3, and 4, they absolutely blow out the Raiders, the Commanders, and the Dolphins, which you know the Dolphins certainly stand out. But the last three weeks, losing in London to Jacksonville, fortunate to beat your Giants, and then obviously lost to the Patriots on Sunday. So a uh, big one tonight for would, Sean What McDermott. would you give up for Derrick Henry? And the Bills. If you're the Bills. Because I think I, I think they play like they're Miami, and they're not. Like it's going to be like next week. It's going to yeah, snow but do you in Buffalo. Be both? Like, do you want to try to find the balance? Well, I mean, yeah. I just, I mean, to me, they run the ball okay. I mean, do they need something else there? As the, I mean, the weather's getting ready to turn again next week. It's going to be snowing in Buffalo. I'd probably have to look at the draft picks, but uh, you know, maybe uh, if you feel like you're going to be a fourth legit rounder. team, I, I, I was going to say late second, late third. Okay. If you're in that, I mean, they're they're reaching the point where like. You know, kind of Peyton Manning in his sixth year. You know, Peyton didn't win his first playoff game until his sixth year. I know Josh Allen has had more playoff success than that, but they're kind of reaching that point a little bit with their operation. So, yeah, I think that'll be, you know, we'll see how the next handful of days go for the trade deadline. All right, uh, Scott Agnes. We'll talk opening night for the Pacers. He joins Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. What's next? Ah, yes, you hear the sweet music. That means, you know, Sam Fritz is in. And not Seether playing in your uh, <laughs> in your car studio, in your car speakers at 8 a.m. Mark Dighton is in Wisconsin. That must be an indoor water park in Wisconsin, right? I, I, <laughs> given that I it's, 40, yeah. it's 45 degrees, the Dightons roll up. Uh, Pops, what's wrong? Well, it's 50 degrees outside. <laughs> uh, obviously been reacting Pacers uh, and Wizards last night. Reminder, Pacers at Cavs coming up Saturday night, 7 o'clock right here on the fan. Reminder as well, get your Thursday bets in. We'll help you coming up 9.30. Hammer going to be in studio. Uh, he's been good. The, you know, the first two weeks, the last two weeks we've had him on. So we'll see what kind of uh, winners and losers he has for us this week. All right, Scott Agnes joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline on the fan on this Thursday. He's from Fieldhouse Files. And obviously, we're talking about the win last night. So Pacers start the season 1-0. Scott, good morning. How are you today, sir? Hey, good morning. Good to be on again. Well, thank you so much uh, for carving out a couple minutes. Uh, the good. What was the good? What was the bad last night you saw from the Pacers? Yeah, I kind of think the game went as expected. High-powered offense where they just tried to run down your throats and launch as many threes as, as possible. I did like how after a sluggish start, poor defense, turnovers, then they really kind of settled in. They had two turnovers in the entire second half shots were falling and and we also then saw some of the uh, looks at the rotation moving to a nine-man rotation to start the season I thought was really interesting after a such a competitive camp and having so many uh, guys that you could turn to um, but overall it's just what they were able to get done and, and valuing the ball and then knocking down shots in the second half I thought uh, along with some some individual production in terms of Bruce Brown's threes and probably Andrew Nemhard 
uh, what he was able to do assisting with the basketball so soon after playing in just one preseason game because of the kidney stone. Scott, uh, as always, thank you for the time. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files, with us here. Um, you hear him on Thursdays, certainly during basketball season. I feel like the greatest strength for this team, Scott, is going to come in the regular season with this depth. I mean, last night, it, it felt like late first quarter, you, you certainly needed a jolt. And as the second unit of a Buddy Heel, an Aaron Neesmith, a Jalen Smith come on the floor, the Wizards go to their second unit, and it, it's the Wizards. But you, you got to open up the game program to look up who some of these guys are. You know, Buddy Heald started <laughs> yeah. 80 games for you last year. Neesmith started 60. Like, I just feel like that quality depth, Scott, is going to be this team's greatest strength, and in my opinion, a big reason why I think they're going to be a playoff team. Yeah, you could probably argue it's its greatest strength and one of its bigger weaknesses, too, because it also has a direct impact on the roster, how how guys are, are feeling about their roles, and, and if you're – talking about being championship contender you need to consolidate several of those roles into one superstar talent in the perfect world but yeah i think it's shining through certainly last night and and you saw just to the the horsepower of the offense is just unreal i mean how many times they were running how many times they were knocking down shots i i, I in the middle of the third quarter i was reminding myself and looking back up the franchise record for three pointers made which is 23 by the way they got awfully close but I have a feeling that could be something that is uh, reset several different times this season. Oh, but for sure. you're going to have injuries when you talk about your depth. Therefore, you, 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 you need that additional help. You'll have games where a guy just does not have it, so you turn to the other guy. But more than anything, if you want to talk about depth, the one that pops to me as you look is that backup point guard spot. Andrew Nemhart played off the ball. He, he kind of just played last year in a role – we're as needed, right? In a secondary guard spot. Maybe he was the top defender that night. Maybe he knocked down a game-winning three like he did in the Lakers or controlled the game in Golden State, but most of the time worked in the background. Well, now he's he's heading up that second unit and, and was impressive in the way in which he just quietly went about his business and, and led that group. Scott, we've had Rick Carlisle on, and it's not revolutionary basketball, but the three best shots, obviously, your free throws, your layup slash dunks, and the three-pointer, especially if you can get those clean looks from three. Uh, we saw in the preseason, oh, and I had the numbers here and I lost it, but it was well over 40 uh, I think it was like 40-41 per game, three-pointer shot in the preseason, 43 last night. Golden State led the NBA last year in shooting 43 threes per game. How, how many, like if I put an over-under on it, how many threes do you think they end up shooting per game, do the Pacers? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the style they want. I'd probably put it at 41. Yeah. 40, 40 I'm with something you. just like that. Yeah. And here's the telling point, Andy. If you go back two coaches ago, which wasn't that too long ago, I think it was four years ago, with Nate McMillan, they were last in the league at like 29 per game. So this is a significant change both in terms of uh, meeting the rest of the NBA and also matching what this style is trying to do. I mean, you watch Tyrese out there and and the other guys uh, who handle the ball, and they are just racing up the floor the best the most the funniest part oftentimes comes during a dead ball. They'll go get the dead ball. They'll hand it to the ref, already be out of bounds and trying to push it forward. Whereas so many other teams, right? They're just lollygagging, waiting for the fan to give the ball back. No, they're, they're decisive and they know 
they're at their best and will have the most success statistically and in terms of having fun when they are able to race it and beat the other team to the basket. He is Scott Agnes. You uh, read his work over at Fieldhouse Files podcast as well. Um, Scott with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. You're always a great observer of just kind of other stuff, not necessarily even on the floor. Anything stand out to you about opening night in Banker's Life Fieldhouse? I mean, certainly Adam Silver in the building, uh, the Bicentennial Plaza pregame, always a great spot right outside for those that haven't seen it yet. Uh, anything else stand out to you in game in the arena? Yeah, I'd appreciate, I appreciate that. First thing was Roy Hibbert. I, I could not remember the last time <laughs> I had seen him at the arena. He said 2016 as a member of the Lakers. It's been that long. Remember, they traded him away in 2015. And I can tell you, things did not end on a good note for him or his teammates. It was that whole situation where uh, they didn't like exactly how Larry Bird left it um, with him, with David West, all those different guys. So it was a little bit sour note. So the first detail I noticed was Roy Hibbert being back and just having fun again. Like, and, you know, looking around, thinking back as the, the memories came pouring in and that sort of thing. Second thing I noticed, new lights on, like, every step at the field house, and they would time them and have different colors to match, like, the moment, to match a three-pointer, things like that. Um, and there, there's a few other different things that Dean Havlin uh, is doing over there with, with game operations uh, for entertainment. Uh, outside of that, Everything was mostly the same. I had zero uh, real problems of fans uh, on Twitter talking about Bally Sports and the TV broadcast, so I think that went over well, all things considered. Um, but I, I would say Roy Hibbert revving it up, which is what he did last night as well, that tr- pregame tradition being back, and then the lights on the kind of the, the aisle seats really stood out to me yeah Roy fitting in the car might have been the biggest upset of, uh, of the night <laughs> yeah. what what is he up to Scott I I feel like last I kind of heard of him uh wasn't he doing something with the 76ers as like a player development guy yeah that was several years ago I think it was okay. 2019 he was on staff there and very much in an entry-level job so he was he, and we did get to talk to him by the way so I will have a story coming soon with Roy, which I appreciated. They did make him available, and we talked for about 10 minutes. Um, basically, he was like, look, I'm, I'm, I was not, it was not below me to do little things, but half of what I was doing was setting up chairs and getting water for guys. And, <laughs> and it was very clear that several of the players, didn't mention any names, but several players in Philadelphia at the time were uh, probably not the true pros or handled things as he would have done if maybe he was on that team or a player on that group now since then uh really grown his family he's got four kids i think he said under six if i heard him right wow. and on top of that he's entering year two as a uh, college basketball analyst for cbs sports scott agnes with us here on the pay less liquors hotline uh i, I guess two-parter for me the only two things i have on my sheet i want to ask you just rotation did anything you know we talk ah oh, they could go 10 11 guys and in the end they went you know about nine and that's going to change you talked about that earlier and then you know the Cavs win last night a, a late bucket by donovan mitchell what do you make of that matchup on saturday yeah so first with the rotation I, i'm not too surprised although they didn't make it out that this entire camp was about earning it. And I'm not sure how you can argue how TJ McConnell did not earn minutes. If you just take that for what the message was at camp. Now, 
And the other thing, too, is it's a little, I think, maybe disconcerting a little bit, is you look at your roster, you have two guys who are definitely ready to play and win now, and T.J. McConnell and Daniel Tice. I mean, Tice is in as good a shape as he has been, and, and health-wise, by the way. Remember, he dealt with that knee injury all camp last year and really couldn't be himself until February. Well, Tice, coming off a World Cup, isn't even in the rotation. Uh, he's actually the last big there, and, and more than likely than not, will probably get moved here if there is a party out there. But to me, that also suggests you're building towards the future. It's not putting the ultimate best 10 or best nine in the rotation. It's more with the future in mind. Um, and that was one thing. I think we needed to see some kind of direction from the team chosen. That was it for game one. And then in terms of the Cavs, uh, it's always a tough physical matchup. Um, it's a central division foe, so that's noteworthy. And the Pacers oftentimes will have a difficult time defending at least one of their wings because it's kind of pick your battle. It's Darius Garland. It's Donovan Mitchell. Um, they brought in a couple other shooters like Max Struess in the offseason. Um, and, and then, of course, up front, a lot of physical force. But they got a preview of that in the preseason. Um, but that, that will be a, a true test. I don't think opening night – much like the preseason, gave us a true feel for the team. Scott, last one, and as always, appreciate the time after uh, opening night because I know it was a late one for you. Uh, Adam Silver in the building yesterday, obviously the All-Star game here in February, so the commissioner making an appearance announcement back to the East versus West format, so you won't have the LeBron and Giannis draft like we've had in years past. I am a little bummed, no more Elam ending, traditional four quarters. I actually like the Elam ending twist for the all-star game. Uh, anything else that Silver said or anything else kind of all-star related uh, that might have come out from yesterday? Yeah, a couple of things I was able to ask him afterwards in terms of all of that. One thing I was wondering about, because a lot of fans have been clamoring for it, is can we get back to the original jerseys? Meaning you wear your jersey <laughs> to the game. It's actually something Tyrese mentioned after the game as well. He thought that would be cool. And I think right now that's not going to happen this year because – um, of a, an agreement with Nike, right, to produce those uniforms, I think under the Jordan brand. But it sounds like they're open to it. But, again, that's one of those ancillary things that they can reach down the road. They really want to get back to kind of just the original style, predictable style of play, and hope that leads to a more competitive game. That's what it's ultimately about. And, it, and, and maybe this is trying to get away from being gimmicky and, and that sort of thing. The jerseys certainly are not, but if you add the Elam ending and, and each quarter's played for charity and all that, which will still happen, that's what they're trying to clarify here. Though I did note uh, the Elam ending was, was a Ball State professor, so mm-hmm. that yeah. was unfortunate Nick that in his, his backyard, now it's going away, so I did feel bad um, for that. And one other thing I asked about ABA. I've been asked by some of the former ABA Pacers, um, by their families, by just Pacers fans, like, that was a big deal here. Are they going to be recognized? Is there going to be a special event? Could you use an ABA ball in the All-Star game? Whatever. Um, and, and one of the league officials who was a heads-up NBA events basically said, we'll consider anything, um, but did not, did not offer great detail on if something certainly will happen. But I would love to see that. Again, Scott Agnes recapping last night. That was 143-120. Uh, I had forgotten Scott Denary or Scott Denary. Sorry, Scott. Uh, <laughs> Chris Denary texted me late last night. The Pacers only had one 20-point win all last season. 
and they already get one on opening night. Uh, cannot wait to read the Roy Hibbert story. Uh, you, you said that'll be up later today or later this week? Yeah, probably later this week. I, we had the Adam Silver. There was a lot last night. You had Adam Silver, then you had the game. You had Roy Hibbert and a lot more. So we'll get to it. Fieldhouse Files is going to be busy here this week. Must stop for the Pacers. Again, they next play with the Cavs at Cleveland coming up on Saturday night. Scott, great stuff, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, Scott. For sure. Thanks, guys. That is Scott Agnes right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, 21 uh, or 20. Was it 21 and 10 for Halliburton? Last night, uh, twenty and eleven. Twenty and eleven. Uh, swap the ones there. Uh, Twenty four for Bruce Brown. Benedict Matherin with eighteen. Pretty good balance. Really is also something that stood out last night from the Pacers um, throughout that game. Have you ever heard any of the stuff that the Lebetard Show did uh, with Roy Hibbert? You know, because the Heat Pacers. Yeah, yeah I vaguely go, remember go, that. Go yeah. YouTube some. Go YouTube some of that. Poor Hibbert Roy was Hibbert. kind of a polarizing uh, Pacer. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. He was critical, though, to those Eastern Conference final runs. Roy Hibbert back in the building last night. All right, uh, we'll get some picks with Hammer coming up at 9.30, back in the Colts conversation. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Station next. All right, we have just a couple minutes. Uh, KB has a bracketology. I don't know if this is Joe Lenardi <laughs> or not. Oh, I like. Hey, listen, come on. I eat that, that stuff up. Exhibition games this weekend. Yeah, it's bracketology season. It's college basketball season. I want to throw this out there as well. Probably better for the nine o'clock hour. Uh, Brian Burns of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, great pass rusher. Yeah, right? is a guy that you know he needs a new contract. He's going to want a new contract. Just a name. Hey, we talked about the defense struggling, needing a pass rusher. I mean, this is a guy. Didn't the Bears try to get him, or what they thinking him or DJ Moore in that trade? Yeah, that obviously yeah, yeah. was he DJ Moore had twelve and a half sacks last year, four already this year. Has a forced fumble this year. Um, you know, already, uh, what, 20 tackles this season, so he's going to go over 60, 70 tackles as a pass rusher. Again, 42 sacks now in four and a half years in the NFL. That's a name to watch for anybody, but, hey, we talk so much about trading for a wide receiver at some point. Brian Burns, I think, is very well seen as an above-average pass rusher, something the Colts could use. Now, to hell with that. Give me the bracketology. Halloween bracketology, give me, give, baby. That's give what me people bra- tune into, Give me bracketology. Right? Let's go. We had Let's Paul Casaro on yesterday. Indiana and UND, an exhibition game, I believe. Purdue's doing Arkansas in a scrimmage. But I think that's nice. um, that's going to be aired. Uh, oh, is it? I think they're raising money for something. I, I probably should look a little bit more into that. I'll um, say that's a good matchup. Yeah, but we're going to get, obviously, underway with college basketball here shortly. Uh, Purdue a one seed in Joe Lenardi's bracketology. Michigan State also a one. Uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, Indianapolis, Gainbridge Fieldhouse, a host for the first and second round. So if Purdue has a high seed, they'll be sent to that arena. Will that be the most nervous one versus 16 matchup? Can you imagine the nerves inside of Gainbridge Fieldhouse for that one? Yeah, well, I'm telling you, I told Sam, what was it, two weeks ago when you were in, uh, Purdue fans and Kentucky fans uh, are thinking they're going to be playing in Indianapolis. So get those tickets early so you can you sell Kentucky it back to them. five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Big Ten teams, Michigan State, Purdue, again, both one seeds. Then it drops to Illinois as a six. Maryland, eight, along with Wisconsin. The Indiana Hoosiers, he's got... As a 10 seed, Ohio State also a 10, and Northwestern 
rounds out the Big Ten contingent. When's the last time Northwestern's made back-to-back NCAA tournaments? Uh, I don't know, 1942. I have absolutely no idea. A 10 seed for Indiana, not good enough? Uh, or where they should be? To me, eh, sometimes you'd rather be the 10 than be in the 8-9 game because oh yeah, you get I the one seed. Feel that way. You get the one seed, so I guess I would be nitpicking. But or so be, th- even be in the 11 and avoid like yeah, a play-in. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. To me, 10 would be kind of low, I guess. I don't know. I feel like they have a better team than that. So what were they? They were preseason ranked, so what do we say, 40th if about, you go into the receiving yeah, about, votes? About 40th. I think they only got two votes, if so I'm not I guess mistaken. that makes sense for the 10 seed if eh, you look probably. at it. Probably. Like that, uh, I, I just think a lot of unknowns really in Bloomington. You know, with, with how much that roster has changed. I mean, Trey Galloway and I guess Malik Renew. You're only really consistent guys that you're bringing back, and obviously the role for Renew. See Patino's be a 10. much much different. Of course, Xavier Johnson. We'll see what he's going to be. I did see Patino. See Patino. Patino will have St. Yeah. John's in the Final Four. <laughs> Three years. Yes. One thousand. At least the Elite Eight. Uh, we'll do some Colts, some Jim Mercy thoughts, I believe, from Andy Sweeney coming up next. All right, 9 o'clock hour, broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. KB and Andy, it's the Wake Up Call. It's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. Sam Fritz hanging out with us today. I think since Mark's out, we get Elijah tomorrow, do we not? Elijah back in the building. Does that mean we get NASCAR? Is that... Do I, do I have to do I have to brush up on my Ryan Newman Kyle Bush trivia? Are we what do the I need to do for, for NASCAR? <laughs> That's a, I don't know. Yeah, yes. How about that? Yeah, I, I actually have no idea. I, I should know. I don't know. You're asking me. That means you don't know either. Uh, Pacers winners last night. Appreciate Scott Agnes joining us a couple segments ago. Find anything at the podcast center 1075thefan.com. Download the app. Find everything there or wherever you get your podcast. We'll dive back in. The Pacers discussion, obviously, big winners last night over the Wizards. The Cavs, they won last night as well. So a couple 1-0 teams getting underway there uh, on Saturday night. We talked about Michael Pittman Jr., his conversation as well. Uh, you know, I guess what, after practice yesterday, clarifying his comments, perhaps walking back his comments as well. You, you got just a minute or two here for Ursay, or do you have something? Sure, no, okay. no, no. I, well, I was just going to remind Sam, honestly, off air. I'll just do it on the mic. Okay. Uh, sure. Uh, let's that the talk. Phillies lost? Well, no. <laughs> I was going to go there. Let's toss that 7.30 and 8 in the best of, along with Scott Agnes for today. Because I, I do think the Pittman conversation, I, I don't necessarily feel the need to double back on it. Uh, but I do think for those that missed the Michael Pittman audio from yesterday, they will find his comments, I would say, rather refreshing. And uh, I, I think it goes to show you just kind of who he is. And to me, he is wired in the exact way you would want. Uh, okay, so I guess here's my thing with uh, Jim Irsay. And, and this is... I guess when you're doing local radio, this is kind of a layup, I guess. And I guess part of me here is pandering a little bit to fans, and that's fine. Like, you know, Bob Kravitz wrote today on his Substack again, I mean, it's 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 definitely worth the money to catch his stuff just on how, you know, or say he said what he said about tweeting about the officials and now it's time for him to be fined and listen, I, I don't care. They can go ahead and fine Jim Ursay. He's a multi billionaire, he owns all these companies, he owns the Colts. I mean, come on. So if you want to find him $150,000, knock yourself out. Uh, but, but you know, at, at times, and this is what I like about what Ursay did. At times, if you're a fan, you have no recourse. There's no one. I mean, listen, the NFL is so fast moving. And let's be honest, the end of the Colts and Browns game 
90% of people, I heard JMV talk about this yesterday, they don't care, right? You see, now my timeline was people who are not Colts fans, people, um, you know, that I know, or hey, the Colts got screwed there at the end of the game, but they pick up and they have their Sunday afternoon, they move on in their week and they don't think about it again. And here, it was one of the leading stories on Monday. It's something that we've talked about all week in some sort of way, and no doubt Jim Ursay's tweets. And again, if you can't remember, going back to, what was it, two days ago, Ursay tweeted about Anthony Richardson, and then he said, the NFL admits and understands that they did not make the correct calls at the end of the Sunday's Colts-Browns game. I believe we need to institute instant replay for all calls, including penalties, in the last two minutes of all games. And so... I love how he does have like penalties and all and instant replay. Like odd things are capitalized. <laughs> Jim Welcome Mercedes. to Jim Mercy's Twitter. Yes, Punctuation, but, you never know what you're going to get. But like, I, I don't know if there's like this underground. I don't know. I feel like sometimes with media, there is this sense of because Ursay is who he is that, well, you know, you know, he doesn't need to say those things. I'm fine. I am totally fine, KB, with Jim Ursay pandering to to the fans here just a little bit. And I'm totally fine with him being upset about the way that that ended on, on, on Sunday. And when it comes to the NFL... The, the NFL is, and I know they're always worried about the shield, and that's why you know Goodell's going to make a billion dollars uh, with all these contracts and everything he's had over the years, but there's never any recourse. And listen, the statement at the NFL does believe that what Jim Ursay tweeted means nothing. If you're a fan, you lost the game. The Browns won the game. You're three and four. You need to win Sunday against the Saints. We understand that. Uh, it's it's in fact we talked about this on Monday or Tuesday, KB. It's almost more of a punch to the gut that if there is an admittance, like you know the NBA does it, a pool reporter in the NCAA tournament, those sorts of things, uh, that you know if they admit that they were wrong, if they admit that they blew the call, you know, that's almost a bigger punch in the gut that, hey, there is an admittance here. We all knew it. But Jim Irsay is one of uh, 32 guys that can kind of stand up and kind of say whatever the hell they want to say. And for me, good on Jim Irsay. Uh, and he says the NFL admits and understands. I mean, that is a shot. He was an unhappy owner. He was an unhappy owner. The, the was Jim understand Ursay. comment made me laugh. It did. Like, it did. It, it almost sounded like a father <laughs> explaining to he. You, you did know, wrong, son. Max Bowen understands yeah. Max, what he did. Max, you understand what you did there. Like Andy Sweeney's was not his right. teacher, and it's me coming back to you and saying, <laughs> "Mr. Sweeney, Max understands and, what he did." And so it's so easy for me. But I figured just over a couple yeah, minutes I, here, it's easy for me to pander as well. But he's one of the only ones that can say, "Hey." Behind the scenes, Colts fans and NFL fans, you you, you got screwed on, on Sunday. And he can say it. And if they want to find him, find him whatever number. He doesn't care. Fans don't care. And, you know, Ursay takes heat for creating stories, and fans sometimes do not like that. But if I'm a fan of the Indianapolis Colts today, I love that Jim Ursay uh, did this. I hope he doubles down. I don't agree with the, we need to have, you know, we need to review all penalties within two minutes. It's kind of a dead subject to me. I don't agree with that. I don't think you do either. But not many powerful guys can come out and say, the NFL got this wrong. I'll take the heat for it. 
I ain't got a problem taking the heat for it, and he did it on Sunday. And if it upsets the NFL, who cares? That's how I feel. Who cares? One thing I've always appreciated about Jim Irsay is he carries the torch for a small market team, and he does it in a public manner. That's a good way to put it. And he's not afraid to. And at times, you know, is it done in a uh, Jim Irsay type way, and only you know he can do it? Certainly. And there are times where you're like, oh my gosh, is that the crazy uncle again? And, and yeah, sure, there's a little bit of that feel. It's a thin line. You it's never a thin know. line at times, yes. As soon as you see a Jim Irsay video on Twitter, <laughs> it's literally like, what am I about ready to encounter? I think last week it was a four-wheeler going into a lake, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's who he is. But at the root of it, at the heart of it, Andy, he wants his team to be on the same level playing field. Um, you know, this is probably a couple of years ago now. But the Colts had a stretch there, and I was—I certainly was carrying the Colts' water for this. It was so inexcusable that the NFL continued to ignore the Colts on primetime. Uh, they had a stretch there, I think of—gosh, I feel like it reached like five or six years where they did not have a home primetime game. And this was when Andrew Luck was at the center mm-hmm. of the Colts, or even Phillip Rivers. Sure. Was at, again, in the last couple of years, the Colts haven't done it on the field to deserve necessarily home primetime. But prior to that, they had, especially when you looked at the entire NFL, and every team outside of like the Colts and the Jags were getting multiple home primetime games. So back then, um, I mean, hell, Ursay called a press conference one time to basically just talk about that and how the combine <laughs> should never move from Indianapolis. And like, if you are a fan, I think those are some things that you love. He's right about both, by the way. About him. Um, Again, it does nothing to lessen the sting, in my opinion, from Sunday. But I would like to see the NFL adopt a little bit of what the NBA has done. I don't know if we need an outright two-minute report, but wouldn't it be fine for the NFL on a Monday or Tuesday to say, hey, this call in the Colts game, we got wrong, and here's an explanation video on what went wrong. Like, to me, that is just some nice transparency with your fan base as you promote gambling to the nth degree that I think would be well served moving forward. It would create some public accountability for your officiating crew that I think would also be well served in that sense. Uh, To me, that seems rather harmless. Again, I know it does nothing to lessen the sting of it, but I do think that would be something uh, to look at moving forward for the league that way too often acts like they're the FBI. Let me ask you this, and I don't know the answer to this, and I could argue it. it, We might have to wait to after the game, okay? Do you think because, I mean, the Colts players, I mean, Baker talked about it, but, I mean, there's no doubt (laughs) if, if goofy sports radio guys and fans and everybody else is talking about it, KB, that they know in that locker room they feel like at least, you would imagine, like it's pretty much unanimous that that they feel at least one of those calls was BS. The second call, okay? Let's because me and you, the first call, we can. I've been understanding of it. I think it's weak, but if you say, "Well, it's a letter of the law," yada yada, okay. The second one, though, for me, was the one that was beyond. You know, that, that you would really have argument with that you would take umbrage with. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so those guys feel that way. Do you, and again, it's an entire week. These are NFL guys. You're getting ready for the Saints, and eventually when the ball's kicked off, kind of all that pregame stuff goes aside. Any worry at all 
of a, of a carryover yeah. there, of a woe yeah. is me attitude I, going I, into the game on Sunday? I, I think it's a very fair and it's a great question to bring up. I thought about that when I saw the Ursa tweet. I'm yeah. like, okay, now we're into Tuesday night. Sure. You know, how long is this going to linger? I thought Shane Steichen, and I don't, do we have the Steichen clip from yesterday in reacting to Ursa's tweet? It was a very short clip. Um, Look in the O drive. I don't. I don't remember Sam, seeing it you, cut up. If you I do see not. that, uh, let me know. But again, this was Shane just simply on Jim Mercy's tweet, and and I guess kind of moving on. And I thought Shane, in a very Shane Sykin manner, stated his opinion without clearly stating his opinion, <laughs> and then quickly added, "It's time to move on." And then whether it was listening to Gard- Gardner Minshew. I think Jonathan Taylor and I want to say Zaire Franklin were the three players I specifically remember hearing them asked about it. It was obvious of a, all right, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Like, we had plays. The first practice is here. We've got to move on. And, you know, in, in a way, Andy, I go back, and, and I don't know. I, 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 You know, obviously I'm not listening to Baltimore talk radio, so I don't know how much the Ravens – you know, were crying over a little bit of the spilled milk back in week three, but they certainly had some calls late in that game that went against them as they lost in overtime to the Colts. The EJ Speed no call um, against uh, Zay Flowers is probably the one that stands out the most. If that flag is thrown, you're in Justin Tucker field goal range, and we probably know how that one ends. Well, what did the Ravens do in response? 28-3 to the next week against mm-hmm. the Browns. So I, that is a question that I'm curious about. And I guess it kind of gets back to the root of week eight here, Andy. The Colts are 3-4. and four, The Saints are 3-4. and four. If you were in New Orleans right now, they are one step away from firing uh, De- uh, Dennis Allen, and they're ready to play Jameis. Like, it's almost gotten to that point with them. Whereas we sit here in this market, a 3-4 and four Colts team, and it's a lot of rose petals. And, and again, I think there's reason to hand out some of those rose petals. A lot to do with it is the preseason expectations. Yeah, that's a lot to do with it, I you would know, add. They yes. had Dennis Allen, who was returning as a head coach. They brought in the veteran quarterback, who we've seen it here not work out, of the Band-Aid veteran QB to you know kind of resurrect things. Obviously, the Colts, first-year head coach, you know, rookie quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm curious how... High-end urgency, we are beyond disappointed with how we've played this season. Saints play on Sunday versus we feel like we're playing better than our record indicates. We've had a lot of positives happen. Mm-hmm. Colts play on Sunday. Right. It's two, three, and four teams, but two very different psyches, if you will, walking into yeah, Lucas Oil I, on Sunday. I, I would agree with you. I would take it a step further if the Colts lose on Sunday, I believe this is just me now, and I know they would have three wins, and there were there were media members that thought they would only get to three, four wins, right? And I picked them to win five games. So, you know, if they lost and they're three and five on Sunday, it, they would still be better than what I thought, right? They would still be able to beat that five-win mark that I had them at. Uh, and But again, who cares about my preseason predictions? If they lose on Sunday... And obviously, if it's a blowout loss, that's one thing. If they lose on Sunday and it's a close loss, it goes back to our conversation that you brought up two segments ago, and that is, hey, they're losing these one-score games, whether it be offensively, especially defensively. Why are they unable to, you know, to finish these games? And for me, if they went to three and five, I readjusted my expectations. Like, I'm not a huge... Preseason stuff is fun, 
but we don't know. <laughs> okay? It's, it can be fun and it can be meaningful. It can also, KB, be 100% meaningless. And it, with the Colts, we're trying to figure out if the preseason stuff, because of the AR injury, because Steichen might be better than what we thought, because they've won some games, including Baltimore and Houston, that, that you know, to me, I recalibrated things as the season goes. And so I recalibrated after a few weeks of this team, you know, having staying power. That's kind of been the term that I've used in staying power. If you go three and five, and I know the next two games, Carolina's the worst team in the NFL. The Patriots are, are there squarely as a bottom five or six team in the NFL. You, but, but you do play them uh, in Germany. And, and they, listen, they did just beat Buffalo. That has to mean something uh, to the conversation. If they go to three and five, it would put them at one and four at home this season. And in that four, in the middle of the season, this four game stretch that we've talked about, they would be 0 and 2. And they would be 0 and 2 with those home games. To me, some of, if not a lot of that goodwill would kind of go away. And at three and five, I, I don't know if they would have staying power. They would have to really win the next two, and they would have to come off a bye with Tampa Bay and a, and a Tennessee team that at that point might not have other players on their team. Might not have Derrick Henry or uh, Hopkins on their team or somebody else. I mean, there would still be opportunities, but I would then be looking at them as uh, a lot more of the Colts team that we thought we were going to get a month ago. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it, it does. Um, Jason Hammer, by the way, going to join us at about 10. We'll get some Thursday night betting thoughts from him. He's been outstanding the last couple of weeks with that. Uh, Eddie, or Eddie, gosh. Eddie Garrison? Yeah, Eddie Garrison. In a late night my, last night, my, didn't he? My, my podcast. He certainly had a... <laughs> Late night on the uh, Pacers production. Sam Fritz, we had a caller earlier, correct me if I'm wrong, um, that wanted to talk a little Jonathan Taylor on the Zaire Franklin podcast. Yeah, uh, a a fellow named Sean called in, I believe. Okay, so Sean, apologies that we couldn't get to you um, at the time. Um, We talked briefly about this on Friday, and I wanted to double back on it, if you don't mind, Um, Andy, because we haven't heard Taylor be, in my opinion, very honest about his venom towards the team. And I was curious, with a player podcast, I Franklin EJ Speed host a podcast. It's a fun listen. I encourage people out there to listen to it. Would he be at all? And to me, it's like he acts like he's got no venom towards the team, or he, I should say, I should talk in the past tense. He acted like he had no venom towards the team, and his contract was kind of my summary of the Taylor appearance on the podcast when they talk specifically about his contract situation. Um you know, I'm kind of like... Dear, Which I don't believe, but okay. Right. I, I don't, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, Nobody okay. believes that. To me, actions speak louder than words, but let's <laughs> sure. go back to your words in June. Sure. You clearly were upset in June, but how about your actions? You left training camp. You didn't show up to practices in season. You didn't show up to games. That is so... I, I, I think people realize this, but that is so out of character for injured players not to be either at a practice or especially at games on Sundays. His agent literally tweeted he didn't think the relationship would be repaired between the Colts. So... I don't know if Sean was asking that, uh, but I, I just wanted to provide a little bit of my thoughts from Taylor. I think Taylor has gotten to the point now, and, and I think we're we're probably past it, Andy. I don't know. Maybe one of these podcast-type settings at some point, Taylor will go there, but he wants to act like there was nothing ever wrong with him and the team when clearly the actions speak louder than his words. 
is that him trying to save the yeah, or go or go back to the reputation that he had I maybe that's before what it is. that? It's going back to the it choir ha- boy. It has to be. By yeah. the way, speaking of JT, I think they've already unleashed him a little bit with the Browns. I mean, I'm expecting a, I, I'm expecting a big game now. Is that does the Zach Moss not practicing have anything to do with that? Well, yesterday? I mean, I thought I thought it was going to be closer to 70-30 anyway. Ultimately, I think that's a fair. That's a fair breakup, even if Zach Moss were not the backup, right? Maybe 75-25 when you're running back in the NFL. Like you're gonna you're gonna get a blow on the sideline, right? No matter what, right? That's just the way it is right. uh, with running backs. Yeah, I think I think you're moving towards uh probably a 70-30 would be. I mean, you look at it, 21 touches, uh using him a little bit more in the passing game. I, I think you're gonna love I this is this is one of those things I, I can't remember. It's one of our shows was talking about it. Maybe it was Jake that you, you want to cut down on Minshew's turnovers. Give the ball to Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> give, the, give the ball to give the ball to JT. I don't need a I don't need a slip screen with Mo Alley Cox. Just give me a four and a half yard rush with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Jason Hammer again going to join us in a few. We will postpone the pop quiz to the final segment today. Again, a hundred dollar gift card we're giving away for the pop quiz to four fifty nine Barber Lounge. Uh, so we'll do that here the rest of the week on the pop quiz. Before all of it, let's lead off the morning checkdown with opening night over Cambridge Fieldhouse. Yeah, 143-120. That's your final Pacers over the Wizards. Pacers shot 43 threes in the game. Absolutely fantastic. Defensively is something we've talked about. Bad in the first quarter. Better, I would say, in the final three quarters. Here's Rick Carlisle on his defense postgame. Our defense, they, they only had nine threes. And one of the things that we really wanted to do as a goal this year was limit the number of threes. So, you know that was a positive thing, but you know we have a we have a lot of a lot of other areas to continue to clean up, and you know we're not going to get there in three weeks, and we're not going to get there on the first night. You know it's going to take some time. Yeah, again, defense certainly an issue there in that first quarter. After that, much better. That second unit it just provided such a jolt of Buddy Hield coming in, instant offense. You know Bruce Brown stayed in that second unit. That was helpful. I thought Jalen Smith gave them some very important minutes when they needed it, and it, it was almost like, Andy, when the starters went back in there at the you know, second half of the second quarter, it was like, all right, the second unit kind of reset the tone for us. We needed a little bit of that. Uh, they guarded better, uh, and the offense continued to flow beautifully. Uh, pretty fun night inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Again, 143, that is a high for the franchise and a season opener uh, at Cleveland coming up on Saturday for the Pacers. Now, that matchup, Pacers-Cavs, you talk about intra-division. You talk about a team that is probably just a notch above you, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion, in the Eastern Conference. I, I think that's probably I fair. Think we can kind of circle the Cavs games. Like, yeah, I, I would Milwaukee agree with that. Milwaukee is on yeah. a different, different tier. Like Chicago, Detroit, intra-division, eh, whatever. If you're not better than Chicago and Detroit, there's a problem. Cleveland Chicago's is, done. If you want to be a legit playoff team, potentially even push for whatever, a four seed, something like that, Saturday's a big one for early in the season. Again, seven of the first nine at home, uh, but they'll be on the road Saturday night in Cleveland. 
A couple other NBA notes from last night. Victor Webanyama's debut, 15 points. Did have five turnovers, six of nine from the floor. Uh, Jaden Ivey, the Purdue product, very quiet. Actually off the bench, one of seven for the Pistons. Just four points for him. All right, Colts practice from yesterday. We mentioned Zach Moss was a DNP. Four other Colts joined Moss on the sidelines. That would be Braden Smith. The starting right tackle has missed the last two games. Could it be a third Hip and wrist injury for him. Kylan Granson missed last week due to concussion protocol. Uh, He was watching again. And then the two defenders that got hurt on Sunday, and these are two young and important pieces right now for the Colts. One would be Juju Brents, quad injury, expected to miss some time. Uh, And then Eric Johnson, the defensive tackle, who was playing the most snaps for Grover Stewart on Sunday. Uh, He was out due to an ankle injury. So uh, five on a Wednesday is a decent amount that the Colts – haven't had a whole lot this year. Be curious how that looks today. And yesterday, I wanted to play this. Uh, Shane Steichen was asked about Anthony Richardson and his recovery. The only reason I bring it up is he did go, you know, last, what, 48 hours. We've talked about him undergoing surgery. And the doctor, uh, Kobe's doctor and what? Ringo Starr's doctor, Dr. right? Dr. E, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that Dr. E. Or Dr. Oz. Here's, here's what Shane Steichen had to say on AR's recovery. The biggest thing is obviously getting the rehab, you know, getting his shoulder right, uh, and then just staying focused, you know, throughout the season in these meetings, still being dialed in, you know, at practice, all those different things. Uh, and I think you can learn, you know, during this time uh, to become a better player for next year. And Andy, it sounds like he will initially be out in L.A. for the rehab. He was not at practice yesterday, mm-hmm. but then the majority of that will be spent back here in Indianapolis. Uh, I think that's everything on the Colts front. Thursday night football tonight. Uh, that's you, a big one for Buffalo. Do you think the spread's too much? Yeah, I do. Buffalo favored by nine. We'll ask Hammer. Nine He's been on fire. Half. Yeah, Hammer's been on fire. So to hell with it, I think. Let's go to Jason Are the Hammer. Bucks like really banged up. Nine and a half does seem like a lot. I don't know. If I could, I'd like to also pose, get some advice from Hammer because in the newsroom, I'm currently 0-9 against this guy that I've been making bets on. Whoa. I've lost nine straight bets. Yesterday, I had the Hawks minus three and a half. <laughs> Certainly thought that was going to be doable, right? Charlotte's not a team. Even at home, Charlotte's not a team that's going to cover that. So oh, I just, nine and a half, Sam Fritz. That's bad juju in so the studio want, so, today. So I mean, to lose nine straight is nearly as impressive as if you would have won nine straight. It, it's easily the most embarrassing thing that's happened in my life. Certainly, I know. Uh, listen, listen, are and I got due? hit by are, that are, truck. Are, are, are we looking at it like that? He's due. <laughs> yeah, but Sam keeps going back to the time he was hit by a truck. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's. That's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn a lot here my first few months on the job, and Sam Fritz being plowed by a truck, just not one of the things that came to mind. But now I know. It is quite the story. Yeah. It seems to be. Nine is the spread right now with Buffalo, over under a 43 and a half. It's going to be like 40, 45 degrees in Buffalo and clear. That's that's balmy. I just that's like Florida. Baker Mayfield to do some, yeah, you know, do some nice things for me tonight here from a passing game standpoint. Uh, all right, on the other side, Jason Hammer will give his picks. And again, a pop quiz with a 459 Barber Lounge gift card. We'll do. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Got to round out the show. All right, pop quiz coming up in about 15 minutes. Let's get to it. It's Hammer time. Jason Hammer in with us. He's standing up. He's looking good. He's ready to go. He's prepping for this afternoon. But before he does all that, he's going to give us some winners for Thursday Night Football. Hammer, you've been good the first two weeks. How are you, man? He's been great. Yeah. Did you hear the music? Uh Uh-oh, let's go. Do we have... 
there we go. Try Did now. you hear the there music right there? There goes my hero. <laughs> you might not like me. You might not enjoy the things that I say on my radio program, but you better respect me because I've been a hero to gambling degenerates all over the city of Indianapolis the last couple of weeks. Like, I've been a big, hairy American winning machine for Thursday Night Football. Jason Hero Hammer. That's it. You can't spell hero without an H, and hammer starts with an H, and we got Thursday Night Football tonight, gentlemen. Did I hear you're starting Baker Mayfield so tonight? So I, I feel queasy about it. I feel I, I am <laughs> not confident Mayfield. at all. So I've been going with this, like, either Brock Purdy or him. And, you know, for the most part, Brock Purdy's been a pretty good fantasy right. quarterback. He goes into concussion protocol yesterday. Now I'm in scramble mode. And now you fall into this, you know, starting the guy on a Thursday night, which I don't know how you guys feel about fantasy football, but I'm always like, should I wait until Sunday? And all of a sudden some miracle quarterback situation is going to fall right. in my Th- lap. Thursday's a curse in fantasy football. So here it's I a am curse. tonight, and this is my thought process. The Bills get out to a lead. The Bucks have to play catch-up. And like Matthew Stafford used to do with the Lions for years, what a great fourth-quarter backdoor fantasy football quarterback. Is that any sort of game plan for tonight? So Baker Mayfield, in his career as a starting quarterback, when he's been on the road and a dog of a touchdown or more, 1-9, and nine, KB. 1-9. <laughs> well, I, I don't need a win. I just need points. Well, normally, we if you're throwing over? a big numbers, though, you're not one and nine, are you? <laughs> like, starting your quarterback Thursday night is like what Steichen was doing with the coin toss earlier in the year. You take the ball. All right, that's fine. But now you're screwed for the second half. Like, if your quarterback lays an egg on yeah. Thursday, you don't have that hope, that gambler's <laughs> hope, that whoever you're limping to the finish line with is going to pull a great game mm-hmm. out of his backside. Like, I had Purdy starting Monday Night Football, and I was like, here's my you know, the end of the week hope. You've got a shot. Right. As and long now, as Hawaii tips off at midnight and you've got a fantasy player on Monday, you got a puncher's chance. He, here's what you're trying to do, basically. You know, like in this week, you know, like Indiana football, they stink, so they're, you know, 32-point dogs against Penn State. You're hoping that Tom Allen and whoever his OC is now, they can keep it close with a late touchdown. That's what you're trying to do with Baker Mayfield, yeah. that he can find, you know, Godwin or Evans for a cheap touchdown when they're down 27-7. to prevent defense, that's all I yeah. need. So before we get to Thursday Night Football, you bring up IU. One of my bets this weekend is so sad. I'm almost embarrassed to take it because I feel bad for Tom Allen. But the over-under on Hoosier points against Penn State is six and a half. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like I have to take the over on this. To. Right? You got to. One yeah, pick six, one muff punt, one decent drive, one blown uh, coverage, and I'm your toes are tapping. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Their first, their team, Indiana's team total for the first half is over-under two and a half. Oh. <laughs> oh. That it, just cheering for that is going to be one of the more excruciating four-hour experiences you're, you're ever going to have. They're going to take I it. Do, they're going to miss a field goal, KB. That's I, what's going to happen. I do have to share with you, Hammer, a bad beat I had on Saturday, okay? I love bad betting service academy games. Sure. Okay? So we get Navy and Air Force <laughs> on Saturday. Air Force is ranked. They're favored by 10 and a half. Uh-huh. The game is at Navy. I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be a slugfest. It's going to be low scoring. Give me Navy plus 10 and a half. Air Force goes up 10 nothing. Then it turns into just an absolute slugfest. I love it. Punts galore. Quarterbacks getting hurt. It was just, <laughs> This is exactly what I need right now. All of a sudden, Navy starts throwing it at the end of the game. We know that doesn't do well. Boom. Turnover. Other way. <laughs> touchdown. Air Force up 17 nothing. 
What does Navy do? They come back. They drive the length of the field with a minute to go in the game. They <laughs> score. It's 17 to 6. I'm jumping up and down. I'm saying, come kick the extra point. They go for two. No! Down 17 to 6. <laughs> Explain to me why. What does 17 8 do that's not 17 7? Yeah, that stinks. That stinks. Plus, in that game, like the first score, I believe, was like a 90-plus yard yes, touchdown uh-huh. play. Right, right. Like, if you're betting an academy game, you're probably not expecting the greatest show on turf. No, you're expecting 15-play drives and exactly. cloud of dust and fourth down. So, I just had to share that. They obviously don't get the two-point conversion. Basically, what I'm getting at is I need a winner. All right, let, last thing for me, and then we'll dive into the Thursday night games. Hammer hanging out with us in studio. Do you uh, – so, this is the thing I love with basketball. Like, last night – Pacers favored by seven, which I felt good about, so I bet that. And then they got down early. They allowed 39 points there in that first quarter. You know, some easy layups. If you can catch the live bets, I don't know yes. how much you live bet. I, I live bet the Pacers minus two and a half and minus four. Uh, and so I had the original bet of minus seven. They win by what it was, a 23 or whatever it was. Last night was a was was God's gift to sports gambling for your boy over here. Live betting is like playing the stock market for degenerates. That's really really what it is. You're watching the game. You're watching the ticker. You're on the phone. You're on your app. You're waiting for the right time to strike. Just like at the beginning of the college football season, there's always going to be that one game where the Mac school leads the SEC school because they scored on their opening drive and the line goes down just a little bit. Boom goes the dynamite. That's where you go in and make that live bet right there. And with the NBA, hell, even if you're down 20. It means nothing in the right. NBA. It you're means fine. nothing. You're nothing. totally fine in the NBA. All right. All right. So what do we yeah, What do we got cooking here? Let's go. Thursday night football. Now, normally, I'm an under guy on Thursday night football. But I've got a side tonight. I just, I don't know how much help we're going to get from the Bucks. And, man, the Bills are so Jekyll and Hyde lately. I do feel like this is kind of a breakout game for Buffalo. So you've got Tampa coming in on the road, short week. Baker stinks on the road as a dog. Oh, jeez. It's a it. big number, man. <laughs> it's a big number. But I like the Bills minus nine. This was eight and a half yesterday, and I loved it at eight and a half because if you're I just a saw it at nine guy, and a half, I, th- I okay, thought. Okay, if you can find it at nine, I found it at nine at Bet Rivers before I came up here. Um, it was perfect at eight and a half in the teaser spot because you do a six point teaser, you get that thing under a field goal. Partner that with like the Steelers, the Titans, and get some extra points. Who are home dogs this weekend? Let's go. But man, they put that the Vegas odds makers they put that teaser protection of nine, some places nine and a half on there. I'm going to lay the points though. I just I can't see Tampa going in to Buffalo at night and coming within ten. This feels like a 27-17 type of game, uh, maybe 30 to 13. I like Buffalo with the number tonight. And if you're looking for a little prop action, if you want to play a little prop lock or drop it, how about Josh Allen over one and a half touchdowns? Now, the juice is a little high here, but the last four weeks, uh, he's been over this. Four, two, two, uh, Josh Allen over one and a half. And one more for this game tonight. How about the kicker for your bucks? Here's a little something you can root for, KB. Chase Just McLaughlin. The guy? Chase McLaughlin, Old Colts kicker, mm-hmm. over one and a half field goals made, or depending on what your sports book says, five and a half total points. Now, is it going to be a windy night out there in Buffalo? 
I don't think it's going to be too bad okay, tonight. Right. I think we're good to go. Because I know you had a Mother Nature impact a few weeks ago that you were spot on with. And Chiefs we nailed and it. Yeah. But I just don't know how many successful trips to the red zone Baker's going to have. I think they're going to find a couple field goals in there. They kick two, your toes are tapping. It's uh, and that, By the way, I'm looking, I'm looking at DraftKings. That is uh, the over-under, one and a half, his over, plus 145. So, I mean, if you like that, there's some money right there to be made. Love now, it. A lot of people are in on Dalton Kincaid tonight. He's the uh, tight end. Right, for Dawson the Bills. Knox is he big, out. He yeah. had a big game last week. Man, that line has gone up so much that I'm out. I was in on it when it was 36 and a half. It shot up like a ridiculous amount. So I'm I'm going to pump the brakes on that. If you want to play Kincaid tonight, because the Bucks give up a lot of catches uh, with the defense that they play. Take a look at the total catches. Maybe go over four and a half if that's the play you want to do. But I'm in on the kicker. I'm in on Josh Allen. And since we're playing with profits, we're going to spit in the wind here a little bit. And we might take Dalton Kincaid Mm, over four and a half total receptions tonight. I think I like that one. Um, I just saw Colts Saints has now shifted. Saints are now actually a slight favorite in that one. Before we get into our degenerate pick of the night, anything locally? You mentioned Indiana uh, the over there on total points six. The fact six that and a half. The fact that six and a half. Like, does that just tell you everything you need to know about the Tom Allen era? Uh, Indiana gets thirty-two and a half. Purdue is actually only a two and a half point underdog on the road with Nebraska. Notre Dame twenty and a half at home, and then Colts Saints. Anything locally? I like Notre Dame out of that group right there. Pittsburgh can't really score. Is that right? Yeah, Pittsburgh can't really score. Huh. Um, I think Notre Dame has survived the gauntlet of the schedule now, and aside from maybe which Clemson team you get to see, yeah. I think Notre Dame's hard part is over. So full speed ahead for Sam Hartman and company. I have no idea what to do with Purdue, or Nebraska for that matter. It feels like Matt Rule is a much better coach in this matchup, but does anybody want to trust either one of these teams? I guess Purdue's been better on the road this year than at home. I Yeah, that's probably one to stay away from. Uh, all right, should we do our de- uh, your degenerate pick? Yeah, we have, a, we have a fancy open and everything for it. Let's do it. Here we go. It's time for Hammer's Degenerate Special. Gentlemen, anybody could watch the Bills and Bucks tonight in the NFL. But the real degenerates... We're watching the battle for the Peach State in college football tonight. Georgia State at Georgia Southern. This game, a little fun belt action for you on a Thursday night. Now, Georgia Southern, they're at home. Not that there's a big trip involved for Georgia State. But have anybody watched any fun belt, sun belt action this year? Georgia Southern throws the ball more than anybody in the country. They do not care if they get picked. They do not care if they turn the ball over. It's going in the air. So I'm looking at this game tonight, and Georgia Southern at home, and it's basically a pick em. It's down to one. It was one and a half earlier this week. It's down to one. A little bit of state money came in. I like Georgia Southern tonight at home. I feel like this is an even matchup, but Georgia State's secondary stinks And Georgia Southern's probably going to throw the ball 40 to 50 times. You get one blown coverage. You get one play down the field. I think we're in business here. And Georgia State, they want to run the ball. If Georgia Southern can just stop the run just a little bit, we're not asking for a shutout. We're not asking for the 85 Bears here. Just a little bit. Just give us a little help here. I think with the offense, assuming they don't turn the ball over 13 times, 
I feel like our toes are tapping. So give me Georgia Southern at home tonight. The fighting Conrad Brunners, Georgia Southern. Let's go. That's your degenerate special. There, just to add to this, their quarterback, Davis Brin, has thrown the ball 46 times per game yes. at Georgia Southern. He's got a 52 completion uh, attempts, a 56, a 52, a 47. Boy, I tell you, Shane Steichen would love that. It's what he tried to do with Minshew a couple times. They're 12th in the country in passing yards per game, 21st in total offense, and Georgia State's secondary stinks. So let's ride the let's lightning, go. the fighting Conrad Brunners of Georgia Southern. Who needs Georgia-Florida cocktail party when you can just go with Georgia <laughs> State, Georgia Southern on a Thursday night? Jason Hammer, you hear him 3-7, to 7, WIBC, the Hammer and Nigel show. As always, Hammer, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. That's Jason Hammer right there with his Thursday night picks and obviously the Degenerate special. Uh, round it out. Pop quiz, 459 Barber Lounge, $100 gift card, up for grabs. All right, pop quiz time. Appreciate Scotty putting these together. We'll get to some callers here uh, in just a second. Reminder, a $100 gift card to 459 Barber Lounge. Uh, We're giving that away this week. Uh, And also, I need to tweet this out just so people know. Hammer's picks were what? Buffalo minus nine. Uh, McLaughlin, the kicker over his one and a half, okay? And the Josh Allen over in touchdowns, yeah. which in some places you can get one and a half, some places it's two plus. So uh, you'll want to see that. if you want to spit into the wind, I believe was his direct phrase, <laughs> Dalton Kincaid, the over there for the Bills rookie tight end. Uh, quickly before we get to the pop quiz, this is from Adrian Wojnarowski. Just now, Rick Carlisle has agreed to a multi-year extension with the Pacers. If my math and years are correct, this was year three of four on that original four-year. You said you looked it up, $29 million. Yeah, it was four-year, $29 million. This is year three, yes. So he won't be a lame duck next year, I think is what that means. I think Rick Carlisle has done a really nice job embracing the rebuild. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll worry about that, Andy. I mean, Dallas was not rebuilding when he was there. Uh, at the same time, I, I think it's important now to take the winning step. Been a long time since Rick Carlisle um, has won a playoff series. So, deserve it. But at the same time, I think now it's time to go ahead and take that next step. Uh, all right, pop quiz. Uh, give us number one through eight. Uh, let's go with number four, Sam. How does that number look? Four. Number four is Joe. Joe, good morning. How are you today, sir? Hey, Joe. I am doing great, guys. Glad to talk to you again. Joe, great to hear your voice. You've got to go a little bit rapid fire today. Congrats on the gift card and try to be better than 0 for 5 from yesterday. Not you. How about 0 for, how about 0 for 5 from the last time I called? Okay. Oh, boy. I'll do better, guys. I'll oh, do better. Geez. Help me out. Help me out. Hey. You learn from your mistakes, Joe. Uh, number one here, the Colts and Saints. Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. They obviously played in a Super Bowl. It did not go well for the Colts, particularly in the second half. What number Super Bowl was that, Joe? 41, 43, 44, or 46? I didn't hear an emphasis on anything. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Guy that played at IU there. from Burbuff, pretty good player, nice NBA career, wore this number. And a 44. You know you're Alan Henderson. I like. I I was gonna go with somebody else, but I like that. All right, number two, Dusty Baker uh, will reportedly announce his retirement this afternoon in Houston. The 74 year old spent 19 major league seasons as a player and then 26 more as a manager. Baker started his managerial career with the Giants in '93 and spent the last four seasons, of course, in Houston with the Astros. Which of the following teams? 
did he not manage the Anaheim Angels, the Cincinnati Reds, the Washington Nationals, or the Chicago Cubs? Come on, it's an easy one. Oh, God. On, you got it. I, I know he's Reds. Uh, Cubs, feeling like he's um, the Nationals. Or, 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 I don't know, or. Mm. Or. Angels, Reds, Nationals, or Cubs, mm. Joe? Yeah, let's go with the Angels then. Yeah, not a big Hollywood guy, Dusty Baker. Uh, with which team did Baker start his major league playing career? Dodgers, Braves, Giants, or Athletics? Jeez, Giants? Giants, or or I don't know. Joe often likes to put the question mark on a lot of <laughs> he, he his, really do. his I mean, answers he, here. He asks for help. He does. He uh-huh. asks for help, which I do uh, appreciate. A little indirectly, yeah. but he, he yeah. does. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've kind of held his hand yeah. for the first couple. You there. have. You have. I, I wouldn't mind one more helping hand, but, well, you know. Well, we still got four and five yeah. to go. All right, so. we gotta be <laughs> we got to be quick here. The Pacers. Okay, let's go. Let's all right, go. question number four, Joe. The Pacers pounded the Wizards 143-120 last night. The 143 points is the most for an NBA a team on opening night since 1990. In fact, two teams scored more than 143 points on November 2nd, 1990. It's all in the same game. Name the two teams that participated in the highest scoring non-overtime game in NBA history in the 1990 season opener. Was it the Knicks and Hornets? Was it the Sixers and Bulls? Was it the Pacers and Hawks? Or was it the Warriors and Nuggets? Sixers and Bulls. All right, to round it out, Joe, on this day in 05, the Chicago White Sox snapped their 88-year championship drought, sweeping the Houston Astros in the 05 World Series. Who was the MVP of that World Series? Was it Paul Canerco, Jermaine Dye, Mark Burley, or Joe Creedy? I would not have got this. I think of this guy as an A more than anything. Uh, Let's go Burley just because it sounds Burley, I guess. Burley was pretty good in that World Series, wasn't he, Scotty? Yeah, I think of that guy's an A a little bit more than anything. Joe, better than 0 for 5. Um, I guess the bar was relatively got a low. But uh, got one and got two right. That would be 44, the Super Bowl number. Uh, Angels, the team that Dusty did not manage, and that was it, right? Yeah, that's it. Uh, Baker started, what, with the Braves? The same overtime game uh, was Warriors-Nuggets in 1990. Then the final one there, Jermaine Dye. Jermaine Dye. Again, I think of him as more of an A than anything. Colts and Saints on Sunday. Scotty, what's the combined score of the last two Colts meetings in New Orleans? Is it like 100 to 7? They lost, what, 60? Was it 61 to 7? 62 to 7 back in, (laughs) boy, kind of late. Was that 2011, maybe? Was that the 2-14 and 14 year? And then uh, Drew Brees compete, completed every pass but one on Monday Night Football a few years ago. Obviously, this one, though, would be back inside of Gamebridge Field. So we'll preview all of that tomorrow. Also, Thad Mata going to join us. So always looking forward uh, to those conversations with the Butler head coach. Year two, it is a blown-up roster for Thad Mata. So we'll get his thoughts on year two. Uh, hoping to have that on a few times here during Curtis Painter in that game in 2011. Curtis Painter, 67 yards passing, led the Colts. I shudder. I shudder (laughs) there. Uh, Podcast will be filled with Pacers and Colts stuff. Thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great Thursday. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.